it's Blue, CEO of Blue Bunny. We just launched our new twist on soft serve, Twist Cones. The only things softer than Twist Cones are soft rock, ocean breezes, and the bunnies from accounting. And that's it. Blue Bunny, we make fun. Time. That's exactly what it is. It's guru time. <laughs> I'm pumped up to have Ron here. I totally am. Uh, let's see. Did I miss anybody? I don't think I did. All right. Super Chat is open. It's a good way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So, oh, yeah. Thank you, lovely Jules. I got to turn the on-air sign on right there. The on-air sign is officially on. And uh, Michael Fontaine, good to see you. Dark Winter Wolf. That's a thick cover you got. Thick coat if it's wintertime. Super Chat is open. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Hi, gorgeous Gemini Moon. Nice to see you. And, uh, yeah, do some shopping at our store. I was just showing the guru our store. He just cleaned up shopping there. Just cleaned up. He hasn't bought a wardrobe for himself in 15 years until he just went shopping at our store about 20 minutes ago. Let's do this. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on TalkStream Live, Odyssey Radio, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You find them on our website. We got a great show for you tonight. First off, we're going to get in some guru time. As a crypto guru, Ronald Murphy is back. Yeah, you can find all of his books on Amazon. Then in hour number three, we are going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller is here for you to share some spooky stories with. And of course, the fedora wearing John Hudson brings us a UFO report. Shirky Poo will have the news. One of my best friends in this field is back with us tonight. And the funny part about it is we've never met except online. It's one of those strange relationships, but Ronald L. Murphy Jr. pretty much got his start right around the same time as we did on Space Down Radio about seven and a half years ago. And he was about four months into this entire genre when we interviewed him. And we were about four months in. Ever since then, we've grown together. We've shared some very private conversations together about the cryptid world and the stories and legends and folklore that go along with it. The one thing, if you've never heard the crypto guru, 
is the way he romanticizes the monsters among us. It is absolutely beautiful. He is a historian, a folklorist, a storyteller, and he is one of the most brilliant writers in the cryptid world today. And you can find all of his books on Amazon. Just go to Ronald L. Murphy Jr. It is always a pleasure to have my friend here, Ronald Murphy, the crypto guru. How you doing, buddy? Oh, Dave, it's a pleasure being here. It seems like, you know, you schedule me to be on the show, and it seems like it's always a year out. But this is like the third or fourth time I've been on in the last calendar year. But we have to get together more often, I think. Yes, we do. You know, I mean, there's not too many people in this world you can get excited for guru time. You know this. (laughs) Well, and I will tell you, uh, what you said was absolutely true. Um, it's been seven years ago. Is that what it's been now? About seven years ago. Over seven years. I, mean, I remember you called me up because I wrote my first book. Uh, it was called The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge. And you called me up. You were the first show uh, who wanted to interview me for that particular book. And we started chatting. And uh, I said, what is your listenership at? And I think you said at the time was right around 500 people, if you can remember, 500 people seven years ago. I I couldn't wait to be on there. Uh, You know, we did the uh, midnight till uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it flew by. And uh, But, yeah, first show I've ever been on, um, and after after the, the initial show, I've um, actually uh, debuted everything that I've written since then on your show. You know, you know, the funny part about it is for me is, and I'm taking credit for this. No offense. I'm going to pat my own back. I'm going to pat my own back here is watching the entire North America call you the crypto guru (laughs) that, you know, and I'm the one who came up with that calling you the crypto guru, figured you needed a nickname, and I just love the way you, you kind of you kind of built this romantic and this romanticism with the creatures that, that you study and you write about and you research, and I just felt it was a beautiful nickname. And, you know, listening to you on other podcasts and radio shows and, and watching you be getting headlines on banners for, for conferences that say the crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. I, dude, I absolutely love it i do too uh whenever i did uh, a show for uh, uh the travel channel a couple years ago uh called true terror with robert england um the producer actually the plan was uh to list me as the cryptid guru on there uh but the uh the uh, law department over there the attorneys at um at the travel channel would not let that go unfortunately but i thought that, that would be gr- such a great homage to space out radio if they would have allowed us to do that, but they would not allow us. That's okay. That's okay. Guru, what have you been up to? I mean, there's been a lot going on in the monster world, and, you know, we've we've lost a number of people like Butch Witkowski this year, and Uh, I have a story for you. Like, this is going to blow your mind. I say we listen to it. I say we get right off the bat with your story. Okay. Well... I uh, there's a there's a psychic lady I have been um, asked to help out. Okay, I'm going to keep this a li- this part a little bit vague. So I'm talking to her on the phone the other day, and she goes, "I hate to interrupt, and I don't know her that well. I've only talked to her twice." Okay. Okay. And she says to me, 
I have to interrupt our conversation. There's somebody here who wants to say hello. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, I said, who is it? She goes, I don't know. I don't, he won't tell me his name, but it's a he. And he's, he's kind of cranky. And, and he, he doesn't have any hair. He has very little hair on the top of his head. And I said, well, and and it just wasn't cluing in. And I said, well, she goes, well, did you lose a family member that, that looked like, I'm like, no, I mean, it's not my, not my grandfather's. It's not my uncle. It's not my nephew. I'm I'm going through the Rolodex here. And then she says, I said, well, does it have to do with with family or does it have to do with radio? And she goes, I think it's more radio, but it feels like he considered you family. And that's Mm. where it kicked in. And I'm like, he, and I said, that cranky son of a bitch, Butch. I said, you son of a, you know, B and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, hey. So who the hell do you think you, because I know he's listening. So who the hell do you think you are dying on us right now? We had a show to do. And you know what? It was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And apparently, according to her, he comes around here and listens to the show all the time. And I'm happy about that. Sounds just like Butch. Uh, I got a chance to meet him on a, on a couple, a couple of occasions. Um, and he was always, um, you know, he had a rough exterior, uh, but the guy had that proverbial heart of gold. You know, as soon as you were in the room with him, uh, you were immediately his friend. Um, he would talk with you, not only about the paranormal, but he would just talk with you because he was one of these uh, gregarious uh, individuals who simply wanted to be your friend and talk to you. Um, he, he was, he, he's going to be missed by everybody with, with, without a doubt. And uh, I remember hearing his passing uh, from from you, as a matter of fact, from this show, uh, whenever you announced it. And it felt as if um, a very important part of our field was excised from us. You know, he had been doing things that a few researchers had been doing. uh, And he was also one of these great individuals that would share his information, which very few people do nowadays. Uh, he was very willing to uh, uh, put his theories out there, uh, to debate them, uh, and uh, just a real honest, genuine individual. And uh, I think the um, the little roundtable you had on him after his passing uh, was such a great memorial to him. And there's no reason why he wouldn't be listening in because I think that he would probably be here to uh, complain about some people. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also oh, yeah. give his input as well, too, you know. My most beautiful memory of Butch actually comes from our artist. We have a, a, a an artist. Uh, we call him Dirty Filth around here. And mm-hmm. he sent me this. Car- he draws cartoons. And okay. this one really hits me. Even holding it in my hand, I get I get a little choked up because he he used to do all of these cartoons because I would always try and rile Butch up for the show, and I, I would try and figure out something. Like I would literally call up Butch before showtime, and I would say, "Butch, what's pissing you off today?" Right? I got to find something that's going to piss you off, make you go ballistic. So. 
Filth would always do up a cartoon for these. Okay, <laughs> or you know how Butch had these one-liners that he would use, and, and he did a bunch of cartoons. But this one here, it, it really hit me, and I, I keep it right beside. I, I wish, due to the lighting in the studio, we could see it a little bit more uh, accurately. But what it says is, uh, I'll describe it for our radio fans. It's a, moon, it's a moonlight, moonlit night with stars in the sky. There's a UFO with a beam going down and it's butch with a suitcase going up and it says see you later dave catch you on the flip side and and i will tell you this one hits me so hard each and every time i think about it because i mean he was a man he was a myth he was a cranky curmudgeon but he was a bloody legend he was and uh, I absolutely love this. This is one of my my greatest prizes that I have in my studio, and I'll hang that up later. But it, uh, you know what? It really goes to show that people like him, Stan Gordon, and others, uh, Lon Strickler, you could put in that category, David Weatherly, yourself, I think you've, you can now include yourself in there, have really paved the way for all of these great great stories, Ron, that have been told, the monsters that have been chased, the time that has been put in the field. I mean, you guys are living, breathing this every single day. Well, you know, we all stand upon the shoulders of giants, and I think it's it's fitting that we bring people like Butch into the into the uh, conversation at the, uh, at the outset, and Stan Gordon as well. I just spoke to Stan today, as a matter of fact, uh, and he was giving me a rundown of some reports from the uh, Chestnut Ridge area so we could discuss them on your show tonight. Um, I remember as a kid, you know, in elementary school, listening to Stan Gordon on the radio and going to see him talk about Bigfoot. As an elementary, I mean, we're talking about we're going back 45 years here, uh, and he's been going nonstop. And he still takes the time to talk to me just as he did whenever I was in, you know, first and second grade coming up to him uh, asking questions. Uh, these are true individuals whose passion uh, for the field um, really speaks volumes of the kind of person of people that they are. Um, I will ever be indebted to Stan. Without Stan, we probably wouldn't be here talking nowadays. Uh, he opened it, this up for everybody. He, he took a very... Um, uh, a peripheral type of uh, a study, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, very limited genre. And he kind of expanded it so people with intelligence can talk about it. Um, and he's, 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 you know, he's still active even to this day, a very busy gentleman. But uh, without these people, without these shoulders to stand on, I wouldn't have written a book. Um, I wouldn't uh, be here talking with you today. I would be doing something uh, very boring. Uh, so uh, I really do thank all these people. And you too, Dave. I mean, uh, look, look at it this way. Uh, you have uh, definitely uh, earned your stripes as well, too. And uh, so if we're going to be patting people on the back, we've got to pat you on the back as well, oh, too. I don't need it. Yeah, you've opened this field up to a lot of people as well. Well, you know what? It's it's give and take. When you get good storytellers like yourself out there, you know, it, it, it makes it easy for me. I'm just the phone call man. I'm just the guy who provides the airtime. You're the guy who is providing all of the great stories that come along. And speaking of great stories, you know, one let's go way back in time 
because one story that everybody brings up, doesn't matter whether it's Butch or Lon Strickler or the legendary Stan Gordon and even yourself, and that is all of these monsters that seem to live in the Chestnut Ridge. What makes the Chestnut Ridge so special? That's a great, uh, a great question. Um, you know, Seth Breedlove, uh, who is the uh, producer and director of uh, Small Town Monsters, um, he is actually on his uh, second installment on the Chestnut Ridge. And if you would think about all the places around the world uh, that you could go to, I don't think a lot of people would consider the Chestnut Ridge would be one of these hotbeds of paranormal activity, but indeed it is. Um, ever since the 1970s, even before it was getting any kind of national acclaim, um, it was still being called the Twilight Zone of, uh, of uh, Western Pennsylvania because so many strange things happened there. Now, as a researcher who has studied a lot of these different facets of these kind of um, uh, paranormal hotspots around the world, I think a few things come into play. I think one of the things that is um, unique to this area, uh, but also unique to these other areas as well, is the geographical makeup of, of the area. Uh, we are very rich in limestone. We're r very rich in certain types of sedimentary rock. And if you would look at places in New England that has a lot of UFO sightings, uh, they're very rich in granite. And a lot of these places around the world that have these paranormal, um, um, uh, almost these, this focusing of paranormal energy, it seems to be um, related to the type of uh, landscape in which these uh, particular uh, locations find themselves in. Um, I think it's unique. I think it's a perfect storm here. Um, we could talk about things like ley lines and and certain types of energy portals within the earth itself, which I firmly believe in as a researcher. Uh, but I think whenever we come to this part of Appalachia and this part of uh, of the world, I think that this is just a hotspot because we have so many things that come into play. Uh, the geography, as I've said, we have abundance of, of water in this area as well, too. Um, which is indicative to a lot of things such as hauntings. Uh, and we have a lot of man-made sources of, of power as well, uh, electrical lines, railroad uh, tracks going through. So all these kind of things give um, an energy to a place. And from that energy, that kind of, um, uh, kind of stored battery, uh, it is my opinion that um, certain types of entities can tap into that and manifest themselves easier uh, than other places around the world. So that area, considering the environment and the way it's set up, I mean, hey, geographically speaking, it is the perfect storm f for these creatures. Now, what is hiding there? What has been seen in the Chestnut Ridge? Well, um, so going back uh, before even Bigfoot, the term Bigfoot was coined um, back actually into the 1880s. Uh, we've had wild man sightings there, uh, which would be before Bigfoot became part of our vernacular. Uh, that would be the way that they would describe something that was hair, co hair covered and bipedal. You know, this was the area of the wild man. Um, in the 1950s, um, Stan Gordon uh, took reports about um, teenagers that would go to these these um, uh, remote locations of the Chestnut Ridge and being chased out by gorillas, for lack of a better term. Um, but not only that, 
not only the Bigfoot, which seems to be ubiquitous in this area, but we also have a degree of hauntings like no other place. Very, very focused. Um, we have uh, UFO sightings uh, truly like no other place. Uh, UFO sightings that are probably as numerous as in the Hudson Valley uh, uh, area, um, which, is, which, which is to say a lot. Um, we've also had uh, dogman sightings. You know, the, the idea of the werewolf sighting uh, is also very frequent around here. Um, we also have black cat sightings and mountain lion sightings. And we have all this great kind of uh, folklore and legends that come through this area. And, of course, my kind of specialty or my kind of uh, um, focus uh, as of late has been on, um, on the world of the fae, on elementals. And uh, in more recent uh, times, more recent reports, people are reporting uh, fairies as well, too. So I think that we are coming to an idea uh, in this particular area that um, there is a gray area in the paranormal. Uh, And to be a Bigfoot investigator or to be a ghost hunter or to be a ufologist might not be all that you need to do. You might almost have to become a generalist. I think that these things are all intertwined in some way. Um, and uh, that makes it for a, a, a very, a very interesting investigation, in my opinion, because we really don't know what we're dealing with. After people have been out in this, the field now for, you know, sometimes 50 years uh, looking for these things, we're still no further ahead in getting the definitive answer to these questions. Do you think that these monsters, these fairies, these these puck wedgies and and all other sorts of mysterious creatures that are running around the Chestnut Ridge, do you think that they even know humanity is alive? Uh, see, that's a good Going on vacation is the best, but planning a vacation? That you can certainly do without. So book a trip with Apple Vacations to breathless resorts and spas. Whether you're looking for an all-inclusive couples retreat to the Caribbean or a family vacation, you can count on us to find a trip you and your family will love. Apple Vacations has over 50 years of providing stress-free vacations so you can relax and make memories. Visit applevacations.com to plan your perfect vacation today. That's applevacations.com. Welcome to Seaspire Country, home of unlimited with cash back. Use less than two gigs of data a month, and we'll take $10 off your next bill. And that's on every line. So four lines could save you 40 bucks every single month. Unlimited data when you need it, cash back when you don't. Seems right, seems fair, and only Seaspire offers it. So stop paying for data you don't use and switch to life in Seaspire Country. It's just like the rest of the country, only a few steps ahead. CCSpire.com for details. Good question. Um, so the way I, I look at it is if these things are out there and they are part of our environment, then they necessarily have to know that they're out there, uh, that we're out there. And not only do they have to know that we're out there, they also have to be self-aware and know that their survival depends upon their distance away from us. Um, I think... Uh, that uh, what we call fairies and what we call elementals is something that's intrinsic to the world around us. I think that uh, these kind of intelligent spirits, uh, these intelligent beings, these intelligent entities um, are are all over the world. Uh, and uh, now because of the expansion of uh, the human race, they become, you know, almost in little pockets here and there. 
Uh, but I think that there is uh, a necessary interaction between us and the world of the Fae. Um, I've said this before on your show. Um, whenever somebody experiences something, it's almost as if there is an unwritten contract between the experiencer and that which is manifesting itself to that person. Um, it seems as if it's almost a gift. Um, somebody can can receive it, and, and other people who would not know what to do with it uh, simply do not have that provided to them. So I think that this is um, a step forward in knowing that these things not only know about us, but maybe can sense something deeper in ourselves that we ourselves cannot even grasp. Well, we got under a minute to go here with the crypto guru, Ronald Murphy, before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. The Chestnut Ridge, is it dangerous mm -hmm. or is it folklorish? Uh, I live within sight. The majority of my life I've lived in sight of the Chestnut Ridge itself. And um, uh, weekly I do uh, investigations in and around the Chestnut Ridge. And I will tell you that I've been on that on that ridge in places where I've been many, many times and I felt an unbelievable dread come over me. Um, and I think that we have that little piece in us that is not completely atrophied out of existence. That flight or fight response that goes back to our time uh, when we were still in the Savannah struggling for a livelihood in this world. Uh, something tells us, something still whispers us uh, into our ear that we are in a domain in which we do not belong. And that domain exists, I firmly believe, in the Chestnut Ridge to this day. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy, he's going to get into some monster stories when we return on Spaced Out Radio. And we love it when he starts telling the stories of the monsters among us. Ronald L. Murphy Jr., you can find all of his books on Amazon. You want them for your collection. Spaced Out Radio is next. Hot damn, that's good guru time right there. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with the uh, with the comments. People are are, are coming uh, hot and heavy out of there out of those comments. Well, they like their guru, man. Yeah. They like their guru. What can you say? Yeah. You have so many loyal listeners, though. I am truly, truly amazed. They're amazing. They're amazing. And, and you know what, Ron? I will I will say this, dude. And I have no problem saying this in front of my audience. They're smarter than me. They're better than me. I just know, they, how, to, well, I just know how to talk on a microphone. All right? Yes. And, uh, but they are brilliant. Uh, they ask some incredible questions. And I'm just glad I have a platform to share with them. Absolutely. I've said this from the very first time I was on your show. And, um, you know, I said I've never seen a, a more intelligent group of people uh, coming together because they and they ask such pertinent questions. Uh, and now, um, you know, and I, I've told you this before, after being on things like, you know, um, uh, you, know uh, you know, all the big shows, um, I really love coming back here. Uh, because these guys are still the best in the business. And I will I will tell anybody that. And I've told many people that before. Right. And I appreciate that. Yeah, they're definitely not passive uh, listeners. No. No, they, they want their questions answered. 
They do. And that's that's good. That's very yeah. good. I appeared on uh, Coast to Coast very shortly um, after uh, appearing on your show for the first time. And uh, I was uh, blown away, blown away by the quality of Space Out Radio and its listeners. Not to shake down Coast, but they are so big that they're a machine. We're, 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 we're still a hamlet, okay? Mm. They're a machine. Mm. Mm. So I, I can't really fault them too much, but... It's just the way it is. It is. Oh, you prick. Come on, you jerk. No. And for some reason, this damn thing never sits straight. Never sits straight. Pepe H, how you doing? <clears throat> <clears throat> guru time. Who doesn't like a little guru time in their life? I'll tell you, I go back here and I read the comments after we post up onto uh, um, uh, uh, YouTube. There are people out there that give me some shade, Dave. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Michael Leger is here. The Michael Leger. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you need to grow one of them uh, thicker mustaches so that way you can wax it. Go perfect with that you beard. So? I might have to try that. I might have to try that. I was thinking about maybe possibly going with um, just the vest and nothing underneath it. And having a huge star of David, you know, just kind of like hanging on my my hairy chest, even though I'm not Jewish, I thought that might be a good look. We well, we could shave it in. No, that, that would be interesting. <laughs> Batman, welcome to SOR chat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's awesome. We got to just over a minute here, brother. Sweet. Yes. Paranormal Pixie. I love that name. That's lovely Lara. And this is the first show I've ever discussed the idea of uh, elementals. I mean, that this really, I mean, there for a while, that's all that you and I were discussing. And I think that really brought it kind of the forefront because nobody was ever talking about those things. Uh, hi, my favorite YouTuber. How you doing? Welcome back. Uh, anybody else am I missing here? Uh, let's see here. Manuel Silva, how are you, buddy? Good to have you here. Guru, we have about 27 seconds. Big thank you to Cat Chaser for kicking off the Super Chat tonight. The Super Chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you so much, Cat Chaser. Thank you to everybody who has given us a thumbs up, thumbs down. And if you're new here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, ring the bell. Magnus Zerum, how are you? High River Dogma, here we go.
second half hour is underway now on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for tuning us in. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It's Crypto Guru Night here on the Mighty SOR as Ronald L. Murphy Jr., otherwise known as the Crypto Guru, hanging out with us, telling us some great monster stories from his collection of research. You can find all of his books at Amazon.com under Ronald L. Murphy Jr. Thank you, Guru, for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure, Dave. All right. Let's get into the elementals that are running around the Chestnut Ridge in that area. What is an elemental? And tell us a story about them. All right. So an elemental, I think, is just basically something that is entwined with the elements. So you would have to go back into uh, the Renaissance before this word starts catching on. And uh, one of the great uh, alchemists at the time was Paracelsus. And he was actually the, 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 the gentleman that came up with this idea of, of the elemental that if you look at, you know, um, well, for instance, look at the world around you, the, the world of, of Earth. Uh, the elemental that belongs to the earth is your favorite thing, the gnome. You know, that's where you get that word from. He actually coined the word gnome, as, as a matter of fact. And he was also into mineralogy. Uh, so if you ever take uh, the vitamin uh, zinc, um, he actually uh, uh, coined that one as well, too. So he coined both gnome and zinc, which is a very interesting little um, a sidebar in the uh, history of uh, medicine and the paranormal. But he believed that um, all of nature had a spirit that imbued it with an intelligence. So whenever you had the water, you would have uh, uh, entities in the water like mermaids. And with fire, you had the salamander, for lack of a better word, which is a, a fire entity. And his idea was that all of these elementals was the driving force uh, within that particular aspect of nature, kind of like a personification of nature itself. Um, of course, he did not um, come up with this theory, this philosophy. Uh, the Greeks believed in uh, this this idea. Um, we we find this uh, inherent within the uh, the Islamic folklore whenever we talk of things like the jinn. But but he at least uh, codified it in a way that it was palatable to many people. Um, so whenever we come up with the idea of elementals, uh, at least in my opinion and the way that I adapt it, it is an intelligent force, an intelligent entity uh, within the world around us. Where do they live? What are they about? Where do they come from? Are they in a different dimension, a different zone, or are they in the astral plane? Um, I, I guess you could say uh, whatever theory you look at, it could be all of the above. Um, uh, so, so let, let, we'll look at it a, a, a couple of different ways. So, if you would go to some encounters uh, with with the Fae, some people could say that they were even extraterrestrial. 
uh, some of the uh, early medieval accounts of fairy encounters uh, seem to be very indicative of what we would call UFO encounters. You know, a lot of abduction, missing time, uh, things of that nature. Um, some critics and some scholars simply say that um, living within that world, we did not have um, the perception and the conception of what was going around us. Uh, but as we evolved, and now we see these things as aliens and not fairies because our perception has changed and we've grown uh, in our intelligence more and more. So now we can understand that kind of world a little bit better. Um, I don't see them as extraterrestrial. Um, some writers have seen them as ultra-terrestrial, which is an interesting thing, which means that they are of this of this earth, of this plane of existence. They're just above and beyond our intelligence. There's something uh, totally unique. Um, that makes sort of sense to me as well, too. But I also like the idea of interdimensionality. Um, every time we come on here and we talk about Bigfoot or we talk about Dogman or whatever, whatever cryptid of the week, uh, we always come up with the conclusion that it seems these creatures are not wholly physical. Uh, and the encounters that I've had, uh, the encounters you've had, Dave, as well, it seems that there's another aspect of these creatures that is more than just flesh and blood. There's another dimensionality to them. And I think that the more we look into that world, the more we see that they, well, they might indeed be flesh and blood in some some semblance. Uh, they don't appear to be um, completely of our plane of existence. Okay, so are they evil? Are they here to help? Do you have a story where these elementals have come into play? Uh, I do have some stories. Um, again, whenever I, I have to look at this from a historical point of view, um, the idea of the elemental, the idea of the fairy, is something that they were um, ambivalent, right? You didn't want to mess with them. Even if they appeared to be helping or appeared to be beneficial, uh, they were still something you didn't want to mess with. You didn't want to have them around you because their nature was just so unpredictable. Um, so I think that that's the way we really have to look at these things. Um now, from a sociological point of view, we could say that these are personifications of the natural world, that nature in and of itself is chaotic at times and unpredictable. That's fine. But then you have to start dealing with people who have come to you uh, with their fairy encounters, which is really uh, very strange. So I will tell you of a few. Um one gentleman, which was, uh, this didn't come from the Chestnut Ridge area either. This came from uh, Pennsylvania, but it was northern Pennsylvania up around Lake Erie. Um, a gentleman who was uh, probably about 25 years at the time that told me this story, um, but he was going back to the time whenever he was about 10, and he remembers he woke up in the middle of the night, and he wanted to come on downstairs and make himself a sandwich. And as he rounded the corner, um, in uh, his uh, his uh, kitchen, uh, he saw that the kitchen light was on from the uh, from the refrigerator door. Uh, he goes around; the door is open, and what he calls a goblin, a troll, for lack of a better word, he, he could not quite describe it. But there was a very small, uh, ugly humanoid uh, standing there with the door open. Um, and he told me about a look of shock in this creature's eyes. 
um, probably the same shock that he was uh, experiencing as well, too. And uh, the creature disappeared in a swirling circle of light as if it was able to open up a doorway and step into it. Um, again, very unique. Nothing completely you know, terrifying about it. Nobody's life was threatened. But the idea that these things are able to come into your home, uh, it, there's a little bit of trepidation in that. Um, another time that I spoke, and this was uh, much more recently, and this did happen uh, on the uh, Chestnut Ridge, whenever a gentleman was simply walking uh, and he came upon a small glen in the woods uh, and he noticed a, a movement and there were these two little creatures that were rustling around uh, on the uh, on the ground. And he couldn't remember if they had clothes on or not, but he said if they did have clothes on, it so resembled the natural world that you couldn't take note of it. Uh, but these two little creatures were, were rustling and then one noticed him and stopped rustling, and then soon the other one noticed him as well, too. And uh, the one uh, simply vanished into the side of a hill. Now, he was very precise in telling me that there was no hole or opening or breach in the side of the hill. It just simply vanished within the earth itself. Um, now, what was so interesting about the other one, now, he called these things brownies, Um and brownies are part of the vernacular that's come to us uh, probably uh, most famously from Harry Potter. And brownies are usually some sort of, uh, you know, European, particularly England, Scotland area, uh, these uh, little entities, these little fairies that um, uh, inhabit a particular uh, a domicile, a particular location or a house. Um, so the word that he used here probably did not apply. But in his mind, they appeared as what a brownie would look to be to appear uh, from Harry Potter, uh, but this other creature uh, eyed him for a few moments, and then it went through a series of shape shifts before it became a very large bird and flew away. Um, I always found that story very interesting, even though this happened about three years ago, because on the Chestnut Ridge we have sightings of thunderbirds and we have sightings of black cats. And we have sightings of, 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 of mountain lions that should no longer be here. Um, and then I started to, to think a little bit about this and to think that there's a creature out there that can can change its form. Um, now, and, and I'm not saying that they're physically changing their form either, I might have to add. Um, as long as they can appear to change their form. They might be able to do something with the minds, interact with the human being in such a way that we can imagine them changing while they're not physically changing. That's something else we can consider uh, when we get into, uh, into this a little bit deeper. But whatever happened, this creature went from one state of being to another, and then it flew away as a giant bird. Um, so these are the two cases that really have intrigued me the most. One, whenever something comes into somebody's home, and the other case, whenever somebody's just walking along um, and has this happen. Um, but very strange cases indeed. But there are also cases that deal with um, uh, alien encounters, which have a very sinister type of feel to them, although not maybe completely extraterrestrial in nature. Um, one lady uh, that I had interviewed for a while, um, she claimed... Uh, that these very small gray creatures uh, were coming into her bedroom uh, uh, periodically. 
Um, and one day uh, they came into her bedroom and they had a very angry look on their face uh, whenever they examined her. And she said, um, she let me in that uh, she had recently um, got her tubes tied. Um, and she felt that these creatures were coming into her room and um, taking eggs, doing whatever. Uh, and they became very, very angry uh, because they could no longer harvest her anymore. Now, that sounds very science fiction. That sounds very extraterrestrial. But if we would go back a thousand years, you know, Dave, there's similar stories like that that come from us, come from uh, Europe uh, with, with what was believed to be fairies. Uh, that we're doing this to human beings. So uh... going on vacation is the best, but planning a vacation that you can certainly do without. So book a trip with Apple vacations to breathless resorts and spas. Whether you're looking for an all-inclusive couples retreat to the Caribbean or a family vacation, you can count on us to find a trip you and your family will love. Apple vacations has over 50 years of providing stress-free vacations so you can relax and make memories. Visit applevacations.com to plan your perfect vacation today. That's applevacations.com. A lot goes into taking care of your property. You need equipment with more reliability, durability, and versatility built in. Like number one selling Kubota BX and L-Series compact tractors, Z-Series mowers that deliver a quality cut, and Sidekick Utility Vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Lee Tractor Company of Mississippi, Mississippi's elite Kubota dealer, on the web at leetractor.net. As I said at the onset of the show, uh, all this kind of stuff is a very gray area, and the more deeply you dig, the further down a different rabbit hole you go, so... Well, you you know what? It's funny. I was talking to my friend Samantha Mowat about this uh, recently, about this exact same topic. And even for men, Samantha was telling me men who go and and get a vasectomy, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. are apparently looked down upon by the aliens as well if they've been taken, mm-hmm. because they are no longer like if you want if you are having ET contact and you feel. You are a a man who is uh, being used and abused for uh, reproduction on a hybrid program. Go get a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. It apparently stops everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it, and it does have precedent uh, in the paranormal world within the historical uh, context of the paranormal. If you would go back 3,000 years ago to ancient Greece, they had a creature there. Uh, called the Impusa, which was sometimes depicted as a woman uh, with half woman, half snake, uh, very reptilian in appearance, however. Uh, and we get back to the whole idea of reptilian aliens and everything. Um, but it was believed that these creatures would come to men and um, steal uh, their life force from them as they slept. So they were kind of like the uh, succubus, you know, at the time. And uh, they would steal your life force, and this was believed to be um, some sort of explanation for nocturnal emissions or what have you. Um, but it was believed that they would would drain uh, a, a, a man over a period of a few days, eventually leading to his death. Very cool. Very cool. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy, 
our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Guru, in regards to some of these other creatures that are running around from gnomes to, to gargoyles in the Chestnut Ridge, I mean, is there any update or any sightings of those that you've heard lately? Uh, not lately. The one, though, the one gargoyle sighting uh, happened in Butler County, which is, you know, a, uh, not too far from the uh, Chestnut Ridge as the uh, as the crow flies, but not particularly uh, located right there. Uh, but there was a case of a gargoyle uh, that was seen in uh, an area around a, a little town called Shakora. Um, it appeared to have, you know, some sort of cape, or if not a cape, some sort of leathery wings attached to it. And uh, people had seen it flying. People had seen it standing at the side of the road. Um, a very curious case that lasted uh, for the better part of a summer, and, and then it seemingly disappeared. Uh, but a very interesting case nonetheless. But that has all kind of quieted down. And I'm not sure really the reason why it is quieted down. Um, but um, I, I do have to point out, though, too, uh, and occasionally we talk about giants on the show, but again, as a researcher, I looked at look at the uh, the uh, the historical record. Um, so not very far away from where this creature was sighted, um, back in the uh, late 1800s, um, there were um, uh, an, there was an excavation, an archaeological excavation of uh, Indian burial mounds, and in those mounds they encountered um, skeletons uh, that had um, two sets of teeth. Um, and the teeth were, were sharp, uh, uh, to, uh, it should be mentioned. And on their forehead, uh, they had um, two horns that protruded. Um, again, we talked about these kind of things before, where people would uncover these kind of burials. Uh, they would send away for uh, scholarly help. Uh, and before you know it, the Smithsonian would step in, and uh, they would be lost forever. Um, from the historical record, and that's what happened in these cases as well, too. Uh, but it's interesting as a paranormal investigator and also as an historian to think that these stories don't come out of nowhere, um, to think that people are seeing something that resembles a gargoyle, and to think 100 years before this sighting, people were actually excavating tombs of what, for all intents and purposes, would be the burial of a gargoyle, um, it, it just seems to connect the dots that, that need to be connected. Very cool. Very cool. So I have heard these creatures, and my friend Corey here, where I live, one day she was coming out. She was taking a load of laundry to her laundry room. She comes out of the stairwell, turns to go into the laundry room, and clear as day, walking straight at her, is this little Ewok type thing. And they stopped. They looked at each other. The Ewok goes, ee, and takes off around the corner back into the laundry room. The problem is there's no exit. The only exit in the laundry room is a closet. Have you ever heard of these little Ewok things? Well, once you said this, uh, I actually could feel the uh, the uh, the goosebumps rising up on my body. Um, this was probably right after we did our show together. Uh, you know, going back seven years, 
um, I was asked to do a, uh, a conference out in Ohio. And there was a, a nice lady that came from Pennsylvania to see me talk. And um, she, we just, just kind of had, you know, a, a little conversation. Um, and uh, several months later, I was doing a talk in my hometown. And uh, lo and behold, she came over to see me talk there as well, too. And after the, the presentation, after my lecture, she came up to me and said, you know, I wanted to tell you a story that I didn't get a chance to tell you in Ohio, but I was wondering if you've ever heard anything like this before. And she starts to divulging this information about a hair-covered creature that appeared in her, in her house. Um, she called it her uh, laundry ape. Again, the whole idea of the laundry room here. Um, and it was, it, but this was large. It was a large Bigfoot type creature. Uh, she said probably about eight feet tall to the point that it would have to bend over uh, to walk through her house. And um, it talked to her telepathically and simply said, I'm here to observe you. And one of the things that it liked to do was observe her doing laundry, which is the reason why she called it her laundry ape. And she said that she would wake up and sometimes it would be standing at the edge of her bed uh, there was no fear involved except the utter, you know, the utter being startled utterly whenever you first see something like this. Um, but she said that it would, it would, it hated whenever she ran the vacuum cleaner. It didn't like that kind of a sound, but he would watch her do uh, chores and everything. And she didn't live in the woods. She lived in an apartment building. So this isn't anything out of the, out of the way, you know, it's not like it's creeping in through a window at night. And she said, um, you know, within a few weeks, it was gone. It disappeared and never came again. Um, but whenever you said about the laundry room and she had the connection with this thing uh, in the laundry. Now, not only do these little things, the the, the little Ewok and then yeah. the, uh, the uh, laundry gorilla, but we also have to think that, again, when we look at the tells of the fairies in the Middle Ages, um, these brownies would often do people's laundry for them or cobble shoes or do some sort of household chores. And that is one of the reasons why people like them in their homes, because they would often do chores for them. So again, are we dealing with the same type of um, heredity of these things that have been going on for a thousand years? Are you, hold on a second here. These brownies come on mm -hmm. in and do chores. Have they seen how much laundry I have at my place? Like, well, why can't I get hire some of these brownies yeah. to come on in? Okay. Well, we have to remember, though, Dave, if we were living back in 1200 A.D., you would probably have one shirt and one pair of pants. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of laundry to do here. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the whole thing. Um, uh, sometimes people would offer them a gift uh, before helping out, and they did not want gifts at all. These were They didn't want any kind of thank yous or anything. So if you do happen to get a fairy in your home that <coughs> starts doing chores, do not offer it a gift of any kind. Just let it do its thing. Why is a gift insulting? Um, I think that there's a bit of uh, domestication in the in the, the the act of gifting. That we are, uh, especially one of the gifts that people often wanted to give them was clothing because they often appear naked, kind of like me whenever I sell my books. Um, but uh, it was like one of those things where you wanted to, people wanted to clothe them, and there was an idea of uh, domestication going on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sometimes lead, lead them out a little thing of milk, but that's about as far as it goes. <coughs> gotcha. We got about a minute left. How often are these types of uh, sightings happening today for these these little uh, 
gnomes or nymphs or whatever we want to call them? I think a lot. I think people are just very wary about coming forward. Um, I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and uh, an elderly gentleman came up and said, I had a fairy that was hanging around my back porch in my cabin up in the woods. Uh, they went outside. Originally, whenever he started to tell the story, it reminded me as if he was seeing some sort of very large moth, like a Luna moth or a Goliath moth. But he said, you can actually see the body of this creature. It was a very humanoid body. Um, and uh, whenever they would open up the back door, it would lay flat against either the side of the house or find some sort of way to camouflage itself on the porch. But he said, uh, there were two of them out there. Uh, and they let them go do their own little thing. But uh, I think people are seeing these things. I think a lot of our listeners are seeing these things or at least have heard about these things. But people really don't want to come forward and say, hey, I have a fairy encounter report. Very true. Very, very true. The Crypto Guru is one hour in. We got it for another hour here on Spaced Out Radio. Your questions, if you're in one of our chat rooms, and more stories from the Guru. Find all his books on Amazon under Ronald L. Murphy Jr. We'll be back right after this. Look at you, Guru. 184 people watching you. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they love their Guru time, man. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just going to step away for a quick second. You're watching the chat room, so if any of them ask questions, you, you just answer away, my friend. I will do that. I will check it out. I'll be right back. Yeah. Donnie Joe, because brownies are some spoiled-ass bitches. I love that one. So, have you guys heard of any kind of fairy encounters? And I'm thinking people do um, I, I hear these things as well. And um, a lot of times whenever I go out, uh, uh, especially if I'm, I'm filming a documentary or what have you, a lot of people who make these documentaries don't want to think that it's anything else besides Bigfoot or Dogman. Whenever you bring fairies into the whole uh, conversation, uh, they're kind of, uh, you know, blown off by that, and I feel bad. Um, but uh, this is one of my favorite subjects. I think it explains so much, um, especially if these creatures are able to um, get into your mind and somehow project images in your mind that aren't there. Black Dragon asked if I'm muted. I don't believe in my, I'm muted. Am I muted, or can you hear me? Yeah, so paradigm theories. Uh, so, yeah, mystical creatures are my guides. I would love to come back on and do a show um, about the idea of the collective unconscious and the idea of spirit guides and the idea of, especially I'm into shamanic tarot cards, uh, the idea of different tribes and how this all relates to this kind of spirit world. Because when we're dealing with fairies, we're dealing with a conduit between two worlds, aren't we? Uh, they've always been seen that way. They are something that exists in our realm, but also something that can transcend into another realm as well. Uh, I would love to be able to do a show on this, and we could do a two-hour show on this at any time. Uh, 
they know where the nugs and booze are. That's nice, nice. And Cat Chaser, life after death. Uh, you know that fairies and the dead, fairies and ghosts, were often synonymous. People would go to the realm of the fairies. They would step in a in a uh, in a uh, uh, you know mushroom ring, or somehow be abducted to the fairy realm. And uh, often they would report seeing their dead relatives there, among the fairies in the fairy realm. Yeah, I think so. So, so paradigm theory says about timing is everything. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you feel uh, the same way that I feel that there has to be some sort of agreement between the experiencer and that which you are experiencing? I've always felt that way. And Bob Birkins, I absolutely, the Sealy and the Unsealy Court, this could go on for a couple hours. I would love to be able to talk about this. Uh, the Sealy Court is the, 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 the court of the blessed, the court of the light. Um, Oh, we have so much to talk about. Oh, and we can oh, see about the orbs too. We got to talk about the orbs as well. There's so many things. You guys are too good. I'm telling you, this is a whole other program. Uh, yes, but I have seen um, a lot of earth lights out there, a lot uh, that have interacted uh, with uh, me and other investigators. And uh, there is no way uh, in my mind that they were not intelligent. Angels are life. I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you out there, my dear. So the red shirt, Donnie. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to, it's been a while since I came on Spaced Out Radio. And I wanted to look good on Space Out Radio. Most of the time, I dress up, and it looks like I'm either going on a safari or I have wood to chop. I thought, you know, I'm just going to look good tonight. I, I wanted to give it a different look. I kind of like the red shirt. I'm liking the red shirt with the gray scheme going on here. Uh, but uh, you have to understand, I'm on the East Coast, uh, so it's like, you know, it's 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 1 o'clock in the morning here. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky just to be awake. And Jessica McCreary... Hello there, my dear. Dave, we're coming up with uh, uh, show ideas here. Lots and lots of show ideas. Oh, yeah. They are brilliant. They are brilliant. That's why we like them around here, Guru. <laughs> Hi, Nikki in Seattle. How are you doing? Hmm. <clears throat> Donnie Cho was in uh, near Baltimore. One of my favorite places to visit, Donnie. I'm a huge uh, Edgar Allan Poe fan. And the uh, first time in my life I went down there to see his uh, grave a couple years ago. All the, world's ex uh, all the world's a stage. We would never ignore that person. Anybody that has a Shakespearean quote in their name, I would never ignore he usually he or she usually listens to us on Saga nine sixty AM in Mississauga, Ontario. Oh right. Yeah. Mississauga, that's not very far away from uh Toronto. Stratford, is it? Hi stunning Sandra or Sonia, pardon me. We got ten seconds, Guru. Hold on, sit tight. We're gonna get uh things uh 
going here. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears all over the world, wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hi to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. What do you got for us, Clam? Oh, let's see here. Uh, We can't find the clam anywhere, so we'll call it Tractor. Tractor is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with the crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. As he comes on in for a little bit of guru time, talking monsters, legends, and folklore. You can find all of his books on Amazon under Ronald L. Murphy Jr., including his incredible On series. Welcome back there, guru. Hey, thank you very much. I was enjoying this interplay that I was having with all of your guests here uh, on the comments. So for those folks that are listening to Space Out Radio, if you are not partaking in the comment section or in one of the chat rooms, you are missing out greatly on the whole Spaced Out experience. Very true. Very true. Thank you. I appreciate that. Guru, we will get some questions from our audience here momentarily, but for you, out of all the monsters you have covered, Dogman, Fairies, Changelings, Pukas, Bigfoot, what is your favorite? What really, really intrigues you? Yeah, so... It's always been Bigfoot. Um, I remember that iconic uh, Patterson-Giblin film, right? Um, I remember my mom. I must have been five years old, Dave. or I might have even been four years old. Um, and uh, I remember our floor model black and white television set um, sitting at home and this going on there. And it was like watching Marlon Perkins uh, Wild Kingdom or Jacques Cousteau or any of these nature programs because what I saw on that film was so natural. You know, it was something within its element. Now, of course, I didn't think about the environment or think of anything about biology at the time. It was just a very interesting subject that was captured on film. But it was that one image that really sparked in me uh, that love for um, the unknown. And the ability then to look at the world to think that we do not fully grasp everything that's going on out there. It really put me in my place as a human being. Um, it, It really makes us think. It kind of takes us down a couple notches to think. 
Going on vacation is the best, but planning a vacation? That you can certainly do without. So book a trip with Apple Vacations to breathless resorts and spas. Whether you're looking for an all-inclusive couples retreat to the Caribbean or a family vacation, you can count on us to find a trip you and your family will love. Apple Vacations has over 50 years of providing stress-free vacations so you can relax and make memories. Visit AppleVacations.com to plan your perfect vacation today. That's AppleVacations.com. Going on vacation is the best, but planning a vacation? That you can certainly do without. So book a trip with Apple Vacations to breathless resorts and spas. Whether you're looking for an all-inclusive couples retreat to the Caribbean or a family vacation, you can count on us to find a trip you and your family will love. Apple Vacations has over 50 years of providing stress-free vacations so you can relax and make memories. Visit AppleVacations.com to plan your perfect vacation today. That's AppleVacations.com that there could be things out there that are still staying hidden uh, far away from us, uh, yet living uh, and coinciding uh, within our world as well. And that's really what keeps me going. Bigfoot has always been kind of my alter ego, uh, the uncivilized, uh, somebody that doesn't live by any kind of rules, you know, everything that I would want to be, that kind of wild man mentality. He is, you know... Uh, the uh, biker without the Harley and without the uh, uh, the uh, the vest, you know, he's everything else you want. Uh, but uh, yeah, Bigfoot's always been uh, the the it cryptid for me. Very much understand the reasoning why would you when you say that you have covered so many monsters over the years. Okay, from little known to right up to Bigfoot, Dogman that everybody knows about, and. I got to ask you, is there any of the monsters that you feel are are extremely real and others that you think are not real at all? If so, which well, ones? That's, yeah, that's a great question. So I think that when we look at the overriding idea of archetypes and these monsters that have always been out there with us, you know, and think about all the different um, uh, societies around the world, that have these same kind of images uh, repeating themselves again and again. Um, I've always been fascinated by the mermaid, but I think that's one that we could probably kind of uh, knock off pretty quickly. You know, it doesn't make a lot of biological sense. Um, I think that we see a personification of the world around us. Um, and uh, as much as I would like there to be mermaids out there, uh, I would have to probably write that one off. Same way with the Thunderbird. And we've talked about this as well, too. I think that the idea that a Pleistocene um, uh, uh, bird had existed into uh, early times, uh, you know, up until maybe five or six hundred years ago, maybe a thousand years ago, uh, is quite plausible. Something to give rise to these legends to the part, part to the point that they become part of the oral tradition of uh, Plains uh, uh, Indians. I think that's something that's very plausible, but I don't think there's any um, uh, Thunderbirds out there now plying our skies. Um, so as we start moving up from the things that have least credibility to the most credibility, uh, even though that I do not think that mermaids exist. Um, I do think that the ocean is going to be one of the places where we still find what we would call monsters um, living. I think the idea of the megalodon still being alive, um, 
uh, is a, a great theory. You know, I think that's something that I would love to talk about more. Um, I think that we are are going to start getting a lot more images back that are unexplained uh, from deep water investigations, which is already happening. And they brought back some fascinating footage of, uh, of massive sharks. Uh, although I don't think that we've caught a megalodon yet on any of these, but we are catching, you know, uh, very large sharks on these nonetheless. And I think it's just uh, going to be a matter of time before we catch something like the megalodon. Uh, the uh, the idea of the kraken or the uh, the giant squid was once uh, was once a thing of uh, a fantasy, and now we know the Architeuthis exists. Um, so we we do have a lot of really cool things out there uh, swimming around in our waters. Now, whenever we start moving into land type of animals, um, and this is just relatively recently uh, that somebody came out with this theory, um, it's been suggested by an actual honest-to-goodness uh, scholar, uh, you know, that the, uh, the Homo uh, florensis, the little hobbit, may still be alive and well uh, in, in Indonesia, which would be an unbelievable feat if we could come across uh, a living hominin that uh, had, you know, supposedly extinct for the past, uh, you know, 15, 20,000 years. Why do we never talk as much about, you know, in Iceland and in other areas where these little gnomes or little people live and have villages where literally if they are seen or known to be in an area, they will literally divert highways in order not to upset the little villages that are there, almost like Gulliver's Travels back in the day. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely the case. Yeah, so in Iceland, and and, and the idea of finding um, proof of their existence could be something like a very large tree, you know, uh, very scant evidence is necessary to prove their existence, but it's something that's so ingrained within their culture, they find it completely, um, uh, you know, as a, a irrefutable evidence uh, for these uh, creatures to be out there. Uh, the same way in England as well, too, and I don't think a lot of people understand that, that um, there people will leave gates open uh, and sometimes even doors of their houses open to allow a freeway uh, for fairy folk uh, to come and go as they please. Um, there are cultures out there in the 21st century that still feel so closely tied to the land around them that they are willing to make amends with these spirits that inhabit the land and not only make amends with them, but also appease them by not um, trespassing upon their uh, on their turf, so to speak. Um, you know, so we look at ourselves as, you know, we can go into space and we have the Internet and everybody is instantly connected um, and we kind of look sideways at these people that seem to be more superstitious and more antiquated. Um, but, uh, but it also makes sense to us whenever we hear that a road was averted because they did not want to disturb trolls. As outlandish as that sounds, it still makes some sort of sense to us to this day. It really does. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. Let's get to Sovereign Farts question here. Which entity was the one that shapeshifted into a pterodactyl? And do you think that these beings are all one entity that has various shapeshifting templates? Sovereign Cosmic Wildman. Boy, that's quite a name. So, I wrote a book entitled On Fairies several years ago. 
Uh, it was actually endorsed by uh, uh, Mary Ellen Guiley, uh, who was going to uh, uh, publish it until her untimely death. Uh, God rest her soul. Um, but um, in my book, that is one of my theories, is that the idea that these creatures are out there. So we talk about why we can't get a great picture of anything or why things seem to be blurry or why we can't get any kind of, you know, any evidence uh, of these things. This may indeed be the reason. It's because we cannot capture the energy of these creatures. And is it possible these, this energy uh, which they put out can somehow interfere with our thought process and allow us to believe that we're seeing something that's actually not there? That's one of my theories as well. So I would say, in, in, in my humble opinion and through my research, is that that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an energy, with an intelligence that is able to, to allow itself to appear differently than it actually is. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Nicholas is asking, by the way, we want to say happy birthday to Super Knower in our chat room, a regular in here, four days older than me, just turned 49. Happy birthday, Super Knower, from all of us at Spaced Out Radio. Nicholas would like to know, Guru, do you believe Sasquatch has supernatural abilities? Well, as a kid, uh, I always thought that we were dealing with uh, a, 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 a hidden ape theory, right? As cryptozoology goes, this was something, this was a missing link. Uh, this could be a possible Gigantopithecus, uh, Homo erectus, whatever the case may be. Uh, as these different kind of theories changed, it was always in the back of my mind that we were dealing with um, some sort of uh, a primate. Um, but the more that I look at these creatures and the more that I look and see that we are are dealing with locations that often are accompanied, Bigfoot sightings are often accompanied with, with orb activity that you would see in a haunted location or UFO activity where sometimes the Bigfoot is uh, manifesting itself and it's not 100% there. Um, there is something going on that doesn't meet the eye. So I think that Bigfoot in and of itself is interdimensional and it will take physical form in this realm um, uh, every now and then, which is the reason why it's able to leave physical evidence behind. But I do not think that these things reside um, totally within our plane of existence um, uh, 100% of the time. I just simply do not believe that. Now, that opens up a lot of questions because there are so many researchers out there, Guru, who believe any type of creature out there is flesh and blood, that there can't be any type of, of supernatural abilities. We're just reading them wrong. We're, we're, we're using imagination yet. We don't understand so much that is happening with these creatures do you believe then that they are coming from a different realm, maybe an inner earth, and that's why we haven't found a body or or something along those lines? Well, you know, and these are fighting words, Dave. That's a good point that you had there because so many people are wedded to the idea of the flesh and blood. I mean, they're going out there dressed like they're, you know, going on a paramilitary 
expedition to San Salvador someplace. You know, they have their night vision goggles on and they have their knives and their guns and they're going out to, um, to, uh, um, look for a flesh and blood animal, correct? I mean, this is what's going on. But Dave, you've had experiences before. I've had experiences before with what we're dealing with here is not 100% physical or corporeal 100% of the time. Um, uh, whenever I was on the show, uh, I think it was the time before last, um, I told a story whenever uh, we had a snowfall and I went outside. Uh, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, schools were canceled. Uh, nobody was out. Uh, but in my front yard, there were small feet that were, were, were barefoot. Um, and I tried to figure out where these, these, these tracks came from because my house was surrounded by woods. So I, I'm assuming they came from the woods, but they did not come from the woods. They appeared out of nowhere. Um, and I, I, I told this story before on your show and on other shows that what had happened was there was a right track, another right track, and then a left and right track, as if it stepped out of something, whether it was a craft or stepped into our world from another dimension. But whatever was going on, the creature that made these tracks were was not there physically 100% of the time. There was something else going on there. Um, eventually, this trackway became a study. It came to look into my window and then that went off to the side of my house and disappeared again. So the trackway in itself was maybe 30 yards complete, um, but it only um, had complete sets of tracks for a bit of the way. Uh, it appeared, in my eyes at least, in my estimation, that this creature appeared slowly, <laughs> not all at once, uh, became a physical form, uh, looked into my window, and then vanished as it left my house. Now, as a Bigfoot investigator, being visited <coughs> excuse me, by something that you've been looking for your entire life, that doesn't make logical sense to me, but that happened. So how does that happen, though? What kind of dots do I need to connect now? <coughs> Sorry about that. No problem, Guru. We all get it sometimes. Oh yeah, but no, that's the thing is that um, um, it was almost as if I was gifted this experience, as if this 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 whatever it was, this entity, um, came to my house to um, I, I to kind of spurn me on. I mean, does that make any sense to you? To kind of give me validation, I suppose, um. And it disappeared. Now, in that same location, um, in the spring, um, I discovered these tracks again. It was almost as if this creature was coming around um, to, uh, I don't know, allow me to, to believe that its existence was there. Um, I started to find some weird uh, tree formations where very, very tall trees were bent over, intertwined, uh, with other things, so we would have some uh, some some uh, limb structures there, um, and then my one of my favorite places to research where these tracks were occurring 
then uh, started to have uh, no trespassing signs up. And uh, that whole area uh, that seemed to be fraught with these kind of these kind of tracks uh, is now out of my um, disposal. For whatever reason, the powers that be uh, bought up that land and now refuses anybody to be on it, which is really curious. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Those footprints you found in your yard, were, were they staggered? Like you had a couple and then maybe 10, 12 feet in between? Yeah. So that's absolutely, that. that's a good way to put it. Uh, they were staggered. So it would have been a right track. And because these tracks were so small, the, um, the, uh, the, the step ratio was very small as well, too. So we're only talking about a couple feet. So we would have one right track. A couple feet later, we'd have another right track. And then another couple feet, we'd have the left and then the right track starting a cadence at this point, right? As if the thing took a while to manifest itself fully physically. And then when we had a complete trackway uh, that came up to my window, which was a was, which is a lower story window, and looked in the window and then went off to the side of the house and disappeared. Alien Critter would like to know, what's your opinion, Guru, of far peripheral observed creatures and entities? Right. So something like, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, these are the creatures of uh, the liminal zones, okay? Uh, these are the creatures that inhabit that twilight area of our existence. This is the realm where Bigfoot usually exists, right? This is that realm where where werewolves and vampires and all of our fears and nightmares come from. These are the places in between places. And whenever we talk about these kind of creatures, whether we're talking about fairies or whether we're talking about Bigfoot or vampires or werewolves or what have you, these are creatures of the periphery. These are the creatures that exist outside of our um, of our sphere of influence, and uh, and like I said, that is the place where nightmares come from. And of course, you know the the idea that these are creatures are coming from this area, the, the, this area that's outside of where we are, whether we call it the other world or or what have you. I firmly believe that that's where these creatures are emanating from, this other place. All right, Lara would like to know, do fairies appear like small blue orbs looking bright like a firefly? Um, so as an investigator, I also like to look at um, uh, the, the calendar. Um, I do believe that things like Samhain, you know, or Halloween, or Beltane, or Midsummer all have um, a particular power inherent within those days. And that's the reason why agricultural communities relied on them so well. So whenever I go out on very major um, uh, expeditions or research, I like to choose those dates in regards to the calendar. And one of the most fascinating um, expeditions I ever went on was on uh, Midsummer on June 21st. Uh, this is the time, if you would look at Shakespeare, this is the time whenever fairies come out to play uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. And as I was on this particular expedition, uh, we got to the woods well before it became uh, a dark. And uh, as we got there, we allowed our eyes to settle. And not only did we allow our eyes to settle, but it seemed as if the whole world kind of settled around us and everything was becoming in tune to us. 
Now, there was a lot of Firefly activity there that night. But what I found so astounding is that the more I watched these patterns of light, the more I found that some of the lights looked more like LED lights than a bioluminescent insect, as if there was some sort of intelligence within these lights. And yes, absolutely, I have witnessed the orbs, I witnessed blue orbs, yellow orbs, red orbs, and the fireflies as well, too, in my investigation. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy, we got it for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio, hanging out, talking all sorts of beautiful monsters that are lurking all around us. Spaced Out Radio continues with the guru right after this. Yeah, it was two summers ago, maybe three now, where... It was it was at night, and I, and I walked out during, I think it was during the show, or I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a weekend, but either or, it really doesn't matter. I have uh, a post fence in, in between my neighbors and my yard, okay? And uh, right near the bottom by my fire pit, on two of my posts, I had fairies sitting on, one fairy sitting on, e- on, two, uh, on each of them. So there were two fairies there uh, on two posts. And they were just like sitting there like little orbs sitting on the post. Yeah. And the one uh, uh, video that you shared of your daughter as well, too, was fascinating evidence of, of, of fairy activity in your house. I always wonder whatever happened to that that guy in Manitoba. I, I, I agreed. I agreed. I just out of the blue, he disappeared. Yeah. Just chased right out of the community. Exactly. I have to get a drink real quick, guys. Yeah, you My go. throat is bothering me. I'll be right back. You go. Aren't we loving guru time tonight? The guru is awesome. <clears throat> oh, for God's sakes. Game over? Come on, please be game over. 5-3 Edmonton. End game. Yes. Or empty net. Hold on. 5-3. Less than a minute to go. Mm. Here we go. Take that, Calgary. No, I spilled my Tums, Joe. Spilled my Tums. Mike Gambale, how you doing? MB, welcome to our chat. Guru time. Another 30 minutes. It flies by, Dave. It flies by. That'll be our next question when we come back. Okay. Mr. Catfish, how are you? 
Come on, be done. Be done. Oh, for God's sakes, TSN. Just tell me it's over. It's got to be over. Game summary, yes. <clears throat> Tied at one. Tied at one. This is where we go. Paula W. looking lovely tonight. That's good. Feeling it. I'm feeling good now. Oilers won. Let's see here. Start getting the news ready. And let's see here, go here. Uh, more time traveler stories. I like it. Did you see the uh, the pictures where it looks like the the Sphinx in Egypt closed its eyes? No, I didn't see that. Uh, that's, that's some scary stuff. People are thinking that might be a Mandela effect or that there's something else going on there. Hi, gorgeous and talented Kira. Uh, no, I am not a Maple Leafs fan at all. I am an Oilers fan since 1979. I'm a Yankee fan in baseball. I grew to love the Canucks because I covered the Canucks when I was in sports radio. Hi, lovely Annette DeLong. How are you? So, no, I'm not a, I'm not a ship jumper. God, I hate the Leafs. All right, here we go. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, we bring in the crypto guru, Ronald L. Murphy Jr. You can find all of his books on Amazon, and we're talking monsters all night long with the guru, because that's what we love to do. Guru, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Look, a, a half an hour. We have half an hour to go. It, this flew by, my friend. Flew by. All right. Let's start off with Indrid Cold here. Not sure if it's the real one or the fake one. I don't know. <laughs> Guru, do you have any info on the rake? 
And are there any reports of it? So, yeah, let's have a discussion on this for a second, because uh, the rake is one of those uh, nebulous creatures that is relatively new in the, the field uh, casebook of uh, the cryptozoological and the paranormal. So a lot of people think that the idea of the rake has kind of uh, evolved uh, from our conception of things like the Slender Man. Uh, but but it, it seems as if the rake is an entity that dwells from the same kind or derives from the same kind of world uh, where ghostly entities come from, uh, at least in my opinion. Uh, that's why I said we could easily have a discussion about this, and I would love to see what some of the listeners have to say as well, too. But to me, it seems to be something that's tied to uh, the other world, the world of the dead, uh, some other type of being. And these these kind of creatures may never have been uh, flesh and blood. They may only be this kind of uh, uh, fantastical um, uh, entity. Um, so the whenever, and, and I, I do experience these things, uh, a bit in some of the uh, investigations I do. I do a lot of investigations at a place called uh, Hillview Manor, uh, which was built in the 1920s as the poorhouse and then became a nursing home. Uh, but in um, the, uh, the, the iconography of uh, Pennsylvania, this is one of the most haunted places around. And I've been honored enough to do a few investigations up there uh, every year. Uh, the next one that I will be there will be uh, the second week of June. So if anybody happens uh, to be in Western Pennsylvania, come on out and see me at Hillview Manor. Uh, but there's one room up there that a lot of folks had said was inhabited by the ghost of a little boy. But as research has been going on and as more people have been coming uh, involved in the investigation within this, it seems there's something taking the shape of a small child, uh, but it's real... Uh, uh, form uh, is that of some sort of hideous black creeper uh, that is there to instill fear within people. I think that is the same realm from which the rake derives. And I think that whenever we talk about shadow people, when we talk about um, certain types of hauntings that become aggressive, this is synonymous with the idea of the rake. Again, these are my opinions. I would gladly have any kind of uh, of uh, um, uh, discussion with you. But one of your listeners there said about the rake being an, uh, uh, an internet meme. Absolutely. This is where a lot of these things come from, the same way with a Slender Man. But that is not to say that they do not have their origins within the, the, the paranormal world. Absolutely do. And the reason why it takes so hold of our uh, imagination is because it does make sense to us. Um, and I think that we're dealing, we're, we're, we're calling these things uh, different names and everything, but they do have a basis within the history of the paranormal. <clears throat> All right. Do you not think, though, that some of these creatures, whether it's the rake, whether it's Siren Head, whether it's Bloody Mary, yeah, yeah. that all of these are pretty much, you know, internet games being played and stories that are all of a sudden becoming tulpas. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I wanted to discuss with you next. Sure. These could be um, gags. Uh, these could be make-believe, but if it does indeed have enough 
energy uh, being focused on this can it then become a self-sustaining thought form, you know? And this is part of Eastern philosophy. Um, I think, uh, and from the research that I've done, and by looking at cases uh, such as the skull experiment uh, that was performed in England back in the 1970s, I do believe that um, intentions and manifestations from one or more people, group of people, uh, can build up an energy and take on a life of its own. I most certainly feel that way. Okay, so, like, I, my eight-year-old son, mm-hmm. he is absolutely convinced that Siren Head exists. Mm-hmm. And that he's been filmed and everything. And I look at the films and I'm like, oh, no, son. Don't don't fall for this. Don't fall for it. Don't put the energy into it. But, you know, he, you know, on YouTube, especially with a lot more kids going onto YouTube these days, it's so much easier because they don't understand CGI. They don't understand animation and how real it can look these days. So the idea that we're putting energy and young youthful energy into this, could that not become a, a monster that we start seeing more of in the future? Sure. Okay, so not only is this youthful energy there, but also youthful fear, uh, which may really kind of give it a power uh, that uh, can become overwhelming to us. Um Children look at the world with wide-eyed wonder. And whenever a fear creeps in, that can become devastating to a child. Uh, you know, I work with, I, you know, I have five children of my own, but I work with children for most of my adult life. Um, and the idea of, of fear, especially a child's fear, um, taking the form of a monster, um, that is more um, dreadful to me than a dog man or a Bigfoot or anything like that. It's taking that child's whimsical nature and turning in its inside of itself. And a lot of people are preying on this, right? And this is what really, you know, uh, Pennywise was in Stephen King's It. It's this thought form, this kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, otherworldly type of creature that feeds off of these energies to make itself more powerful than it actually is. And I think people, we have to be careful. We have to be careful when we're dealing with with, with uh, uh, social media. Like you said, they don't understand uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, PowerPoint and uh, Photoshop and all this other kind of stuff, the kind of things that can be done. Um, and now with the proliferation of things like TikTok, we see a lot of, of uh, paranormal things on there as well, too. Um, and I think it's going to get worse. I think the idea that these these children looking at these things, believing that it's true, is going to do nothing more uh, than 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 insert these kind of neurosis into the environment around us. Okay, so you're a parent. You have five children and one grandchild. You know, no. do you talk to them about monsters? About you know, when they come to you and say, "Hey, Dad, at school we were talking about the rake, or we were talking about Sired Head, or something along those lines," do you discuss with them about these monsters? 
I do, absolutely. So, I mean, everybody has monsters that, that we fear, uh, whether they're real or imagined. And uh, that's just, a, a way, I mean, this world is full of monsters. I mean, when we look at what's going on uh, in uh, the Ukraine or, you know, there's shootings or everything, uh, monsters happen all the time. And I'll give you this one little uh, uh, anecdote. Um, so as a teacher uh, several years ago, um, I believe in nursery rhymes. You know, or the idea of folklore has always been uh, pervasive in my life, and the idea of nursery rhymes has been something that I've always been fond of. So um, I would take the children out, and I would uh, our nursery rhymes would have uh, places within our natural environment. So around the school, we would find a place that had a house that had a, a turret on the side of it, and that would be where Rapunzel would let down her hair. And we we have a bridge that is a railroad crossing, and that's where the trolls would live. And we have this uh, bit of trees around the river, and that's where the fairies dwell. So the children, when we go out, they can have this map of the world in which they can interact with. And um, one day, uh, the trolls decided uh, that they were going to be visiting our school, and they were making a bit of a mess of things. So we had to gather together as a group and go out there and confront the trolls and tell them to stay away from our classroom. Um, another class besides my own uh, decided that they wanted to come with us as well, too. And uh, one of the children were very scared uh, by um, the, uh, the, the the role play that we were going through uh, to the point that uh, the child went home and told their mother. And the mother said, uh, you know, I would prefer... Uh, my child not to be involved in Mr. Murphy's class uh, whenever he's uh, conducting such a, a, an experiment. Um, so uh, it actually went to the, the point wherever the, the, the parent had a uh, meeting with the uh, school board uh, over my, uh, my uh, exercise. And the point that I came up with was this. Um, if your child is having a difficult time uh, defeating imaginary monsters, what are you going to do whenever it's confronted with a real one? And after that time, the the the, the mother allowed me to take the child uh, on my class excursions, and we would go out there and fight imaginary monsters all the time. I think that that is the way we need to look at the world. Uh, the world is an amazing, complex place with a lot of beauty in it. But there's also some very terrifying things in it as well, too. And I think that we have to deal with it as we come, from children to adults or what have you. So instead of projecting more uh, evil into the world, let us kind of confront the evil that's out there, um, vanquish it, and then I think that everybody will get uh, on with a, a little better life. I don't mean to philosophize like that, but I think whenever, especially whenever it comes to a child, I'm always very protective of children. And um, to think that uh, they're being taken advantage of uh, by some of these uh, internet schemes just really kind of gets on me. So Okay, well, let's let's take this down a different angle then. Because a lot of times children will have nightmares oh, of, sure. of monsters of aliens, of things they can't explain. How much is this, and I realize you're not a psychologist or a dream specialist, but in your outlook of everything as a monster specialist, a monster hunter, whatever you want to call yourself, how many of these dreams when, when our kids are, are having nightmares are actual things that are happening compared to just imagination? 
Um, well, in the school of psychology, I definitely follow a lot of the teachings of Carl Jung. Uh, the idea of the collective unconscious and the idea that reoccurring patterns and reoccurring symbols and dreams is part of that deep grammar that supersedes language and kind of connects us all as human beings. I love that idea. I love that idea that we come from this common source. We all have the same kind of dreams, the same kind of ambitions, and we also have the same kind of nightmares as well, too. And the idea of how we confront them, not only as an individual, but as a species, says a, a lot about who we are. Um, whenever you look at the world of, uh, of early childhood psychology, there's the idea that children are going to be confronted by something and how they overcome that particular obstacle is going to make, um, is going to decide on their development uh, as, 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 they, as they age. And I think that that's also to be said, looking at us as a human race, the way we dealt with terrors and the way we dealt with collective nightmares in our early goings says a lot about who we are now. And some of the things that we had more difficult times with have become these universal nightmares that we all share. The idea of a werewolf, the idea of, of, a, of something that will drink our blood like a vampire or the wild man. I firmly believe that in our distant past, we were confronted by these creatures. That is the reason they become archetypes and the reason they become nightmares. And it's, it's, we're still dealing with this now. Whether these creatures are still flesh and blood now, it really makes little difference to me as a historian because they so impacted the way we look at the world now that they are still living within that, uh, that gray matter of the forest within our minds. So we are still dealing with, with, you know, thousands of years of evolution behind us of some of the nightmares that we had to face uh, when we were gathered around the campfire. And that's what keeps me going, my friend. These are the monsters. These are the things of nightmares that still were with us to this day. I'm very curious because, you know, I remember as a kid, Going way back, let's go back, oh, geez, 45 years. Being three years old, I, I'd always learned about the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. And I always had this boogeyman figure in my head, like, like a shadow person. I didn't know what a shadow person was back then. But I would get away from him by flapping my arms like a bird and taking off, and I'd be able to fly. And then he'd go after one of my friends and I would, you know, my friends would start taking off and we'd start dive bombing him and all this kind of stuff. It, it was really, really weird because it, it was always on my front yard growing up as a kid. And I look at that now and I'm thinking, okay, where would I learn to fly? Okay, using my imagination, that's birds, but this was a shadow man. Mm -hmm. And these dreams, I don't remember very many dreams as a kid, Ron. Mm -hmm. But these ones still stick with me 45 years later. Mm -hmm. And I don't recall ever seeing UFOs. I don't recall seeing aliens or, or Bigfoot or, or any type of creature like that in our area where I lived. I lived in the suburbs, but, I mean, <clears throat> it was all residential. There was no forests around. There were parks, right. but no forests. Mm -hmm. 
So where does this come from? Where does it come from? Right? Exactly. Where does it come from? And the only thing that I can come up with is that this is part of who we are as humanity. It's embroidered in our DNA. It's something that has been with us since the very beginning. And uh, we still carry it with us now. It's that collective memory uh, that has become, you know, the universal archetype uh, that still uh, becomes nightmares, even, you know, uh, 200,000 years after the time that uh, we first started to uh, climb up onto two feet. Well, you know what? With six minutes left here, five and a half minutes left, I've always wondered, now that I'm in this uh, field, you know, both feet in the deep end and and sinking further because, you know, I'm I'm a heavy guy, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what's real and what's fake? But I've learned now that I look for signals. How does my body feel in the morning? Mm. Like if I feel Ron, I, I swear, man, if, if, if I have dreams about aliens the next day, my body is killing me. I feel like I haven't slept. I feel mm. tired. My neck is sore. My shoulders are sore. My legs are sore. And I don't really get it. I don't really get it, man. Um, yeah, my daughter told me the other day, uh, she came and visited me and she said, um, it was the the night of the blood moon. She said, I had a dream. We were all at the beach and you decided to take a swim under the blood moon. And, uh, you came back on the shore and you turned into a werewolf and we had to spend uh, the rest of my, my rest of her dream was her trying to protect the kids. Uh, for me turning into, you know, the werewolf. Look, these are our fears, right? And, and they're not irrational either, Dave. That's the other thing, too. Like, it, it might sound ridiculous uh, to an outsider, but to you who have the dreams, these are not irrational. It makes total sense to you. And it has affected you systemically. It has affected you mind, body, and spirit. Um we are, you know, ancient. We are made of stardust. You know, I'm a religious person as well, too. Um, I believe in God. I believe in angels. I believe in the soul and all that stuff. But we are also, we are also part of this eternity of the universe. And everything that's out there, we have some sort of conception of in some way, whether it's hardwired into us or what have you. But we have knowledge of great beauty, but we also have the knowledge of very terrifying things as well, too. And that is part of our collective psychology that we all need to get into therapy and talk about to exercise these demons that have been with us for such a long period of time. That is great. Guru? We got two and a half minutes with you, man. The The worst part of every time we have you on the show is it ends so damn quick. It really does. It really yes. does. And I hate it yeah. each and every time, my friend. And I know our audience hates it, too, because you always put out 
a good show with incredible knowledge and you break it down so simplistically so people like me can understand, you know, the love and the admiration you have for the monster world. What's up next for you? Um, well, I'm going to be doing some conferences this summer, uh, which I'm very, very excited to be uh, back into the swing of things because it's been about two years, Dave. With with the whole idea of COVID, it's been about two years uh, since I've, I've been out there to do things. So I cannot wait. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, if I have a second, I can get out my handy-dandy calendar right here, if that's okay. Yeah. And I can tell you some of the places I'm going to be uh, while I'm stalling here. Uh, but yes, let me just find calendars because now I'm in the, uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, this is never good for radio. So I'm going to try to fill it up with me uh, stammering around. but uh, And I can't even find... Okay, here we go. So, in the month of June, so anybody that's in Western Pennsylvania, I will be at Hillview Manor on June the 18th. And that will be a midsummer show. And I'll be talking about fairies and their connection to the spirit realm. And then on... Um, uh, July 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. That is the Kecksburg UFO Festival in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And I will be there with Stan Gordon and Eric Altman. So if anybody is in Western Pennsylvania at that particular period, come on out and see me. And then on the 12th, 13th, and 14th in beautiful Paris, Tennessee, I will be at Ken Gearhard's uh, conference on Dogman slash Werewolf. Uh, werewolves. So I'm excited about that one as well, too. Uh, August 6th, if anybody is going to be up in Vermont, I will be up there at the Lake Champlain Festival uh, talking about lake monsters. So that is a little bit of the stuff that I will be doing uh, throughout the summer, my friend. And I hope I hope I get a chance to see at least a few people there. Guru, always a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio, my friend. We will do it probably again in a couple of months with you uh, later on in the summer. Much love to you, your family, and and who you are, my bud. It's always good to have but, you here. Dave, I love you as a person and as a brother, and I cannot wait to see you again. Absolutely. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. You could go on Amazon, type in Ronald L. Murphy Jr. You can find all of his books there. Look, if you want good, interesting, creative research writing on monsters, there's only one crypto guru, and he's right here on Spaced Out Radio. Coming up next, let's head to the swamp, Swamp Dweller, and then the fedora-wearing John Hudson. Hour 3 is next. Good night to the guru. Gotta love him. Hi, Al Menial. How you doing? I'll be right back, guys.
I may have a new look to the studio on Monday night. If I get motivated, I'm going to switch the studio around a little bit. It's going to be interesting. We got one minute here. Big thank you to Donnie and Cat Chaser for the super chats tonight. Thank you so much for your love and support. Very much appreciate it. Don't forget this weekend, After Hours, and right before After Hours, we have the Cryptid Huntress with Off the Trails. All the shows start at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. Hi, Zoom. you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor here we go with the third and final hour of spaced out radio tonight good to have you with us thank you so much for taking the time to join us we really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call earth hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around north america and digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Navy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club Tractor. Tractor is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Yes, our resident swamp dweller is back with another spooky story. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. To start, I've always been a person who has been interested in spiritual things. Maybe a year ago, I finally thought I'd commit myself to shamanism. I was inexperienced, and I still am, as I haven't touched it ever since this story happened. I remember it being a Thursday night, and I had recently bought myself a book that taught me about ways and information. But this book also detailed small, non-violent rituals in which I could do shamanic things. Ever since buying this, 
I was pumped as I had finally had something to commit to as I had been struggling with purpose in my life, and this helped ease that. Before the ritual, I had ventured out following a snaking river where I knew there would be a perfect spot somewhere in the deep woods to do my first ritual. I had built a fire in preparation. The ceremony was that I would make an offering of incense and various foods and ingredients, which was alright with me. All that was supposed to happen was that I would communicate to a fire spirit and enter a trance-like state. Then came the night of the ritual. I waited roughly until 10.30pm to head out to the intense site in the woods. I slung a massive drum encased in its cover across my shoulder while holding incense and some food in the other, along with materials to light a small fire. Now here is something that I must note. There was no wind whatsoever, and the sounds of the night flow were present. I felt genuinely safe as I hiked through the dark and everything seemed normal. I eventually made it to my ritual site and I prepared everything. I also lit the fire, prepared the food, and lit the incense. I began to drum rhythmically to try and get myself to trance out as specified in the book. But that's when I opened my eyes and realized the wind was suddenly here and incredibly violent, swaying my fire from side to side to the extent that the flames licked the floor at points. I had specifically checked the weather and it was not supposed to be at all like this. It was actually supposed to be a record still night. It had only been about maybe two minutes since I had begun the ritual, and I had no idea where all this wind came from. On top of this, the sounds of nightlife had become utterly silent. I heard no birds and listened to no kangaroos, just nothing. The hair on my arms and legs stood straight up, and I felt incredibly unwelcome. I felt as though I was being watched, and whatever was around me wanted me to meet a very violent end. I quickly packed my stuff, and this proceeds with the feeling of hate that seemed to chase me until I got to the clearing that is my home, upon which it felt like I had a lifted weight off my shoulders. Once I was home, I locked all of the doors and windows, but when I looked out the window, I felt watched every single time I looked towards the woods. Finally, I shut my blinds and tried my best to sleep, but I did not sleep that night, not a wink. Unfortunately, that's not where it all ended. According to the ritual, you were supposed to go and collect some of the ashes from the fire the next day, but I didn't do it as I was terrified of going into the woods again. The next night, I could hear a man whistling. The whistling came from the woods, but it was not that of a song, if that makes sense. His whistling would be in tune of a song, but it would be like if something was smashing into your face. It didn't really have a theme or a melody. It was just a singy tune almost. I don't know how to explain it. This went on for about a week, sometimes as close as maybe 10 feet from my window, and sometimes from the edges of the woods or deep inside the woods. After this week of creepy whistling, the whistling was replaced one night by a singular screech-like scream of what sounded like pain coming from within the woods. This scream was woman-like, and not like a man, and this confused me. After that night, the whistling returned and continued for about a month until it finally stopped abruptly. Maybe a half a year has passed since the ending of that month, and I no longer hear things from the woods at night, but there's still something there watching me. Whenever I look at the woods at night, I feel that same feeling 
of the night of the ritual, and I feel utterly unwelcome, and the hair on the back of my neck stands on end. Anytime I go into the woods during the day, I think I'm being followed. One comfort is that whatever is in those woods doesn't seem to leave them, as I've gone camping in different woods, and it's been completely fine. Since that ritual, I have not gone back to the ritual place out of fear, and I'm tentative to even go back inside the woods in general. Since that incident, I have not touched shamanism in any shape or form. Do you guys reckon I accidentally made the woods here haunted? Some extra information about where I live. I live on a giant limestone ridge of sorts, where it's riddled with caves, and I know some people have died due to these caves. I live on aboriginal land, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. Bushfires have come through here recently, and I can tell by the many trees that have been left with burn marks on their bases that they're definitely hiding some secrets. Yes, the forest definitely has its secrets, doesn't it? It's amazing. What is hiding in the forest that we just don't see or even pay attention to? Thank you to the Swamp Dweller for coming on in and telling us another spooky, spooky story. You can find him at youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. Thousands of stories like this over the years from the Swamp Dweller. And we love it. We love bringing his stories to you here on Spaced Out Radio. Speaking of bringing stories to the table, the fedora-wearing John Hudson is back for the Unbiased UFO Report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. The fedora-wearing John Hudson. It's been a, a busy, busy time this last week with UFOs and UFOs and more UFOs and politics and UFOs and and Congress hearings and UFOs and everything UFOs, man. Have you got enough of it yet? Have you figured out what's going on? Uh, oh, I'm just, I'm still amazed that so much could be said in a whole week about UFOs without anything actually being said at all. Isn't that the truth? Accomplishment. Well, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far. I, I think that's a little critical. I'm just joking around. No, I, I think, I think we've made some interesting progress. Um, a, a lot of it just depends on, and what we'll talk about in a little bit later is, is what some of the motives were, um, you know, in hearings and so forth. But yeah, but there's, um, there's a lot of fun stuff going on, but, but how, how's your day going, Dave? My my day is going great. You know, anytime you got the guru on, it just makes things a, a little bit easier around here. You know, a lot of guests I have to prepare heavily for. The guru, I don't have to prepare very hard for. So I, I, I didn't catch all of it, but um, I did catch one thing I wanted clarification. Did I actually hear you, you say to him that you, you wanted to find out if there were small furry woodland creatures called brownies that would come and do your chores for you? Did, no. did I actually hear no, that correctly? He, he said that. He said that. He that, said that, that. Back in like the 12, 1300s, there were reports of these little brownies that would come in and, and actually do your laundry for you and help you with your chores. And how we got on topic with that was there have been reports, including a friend of mine in town named Corey, when she was doing her going to do some laundry, she watched what looked like a little Ewok 
walk right out of her, uh, out through the doorway, and met her in the hallway. And this thing kind of went, and, and, and she screamed, and this thing ran back into her laundry room. And when she finally got brave enough to go look for it, it was gone. It had done all her laundry. No, she didn't get her laundry done, but either way, it disappeared. And this thing was full body apparition, dude. Like, you're not, I'm not saying like see through it. Like, it was physical. It was there. Hey, Dave, real quick question before we get too sad on here. Do you know if there's been any, any history or any occurrence of a, of a, of a cryptid type creature um, being found where there was anything similar to ectoplasm present? Ghosts. Well, no, I know. I don't. I'm talking. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about cryptid, like like woodland type stuff, like oh. these brownie type thing. All, all those. Do, do you ever is is ectoplasm ever found um, in in any of the evidence of those type of creatures as well? I have never seen it. It could okay. be. All right. It could be. I have never seen it, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't have any brownies in my house, but you know, other than the ones I eat. So. Yeah, me either. Me either. All right, let's get right to it, man. I want to start off because uh, we got a lot of time with you tonight, which is good. And uh, Lou Elizondo, the polarizing yep. figure, the man who many will say has helped disclosure more than anyone on this planet, and the man people will say has been the most dreadful and harmful thing to disclosure on this planet. I tend to lean on the side that he has helped a lot an incredible but, but amount. the one thing i will say that i for, at least for me makes this whole thing more entertaining is that there is actually ample evidence for each side of it true right? depending on how you interpret information absolutely so it's, it's not like it's not like people are just you know like you know like you know making up fantasies you know i i think i think everyone's got you know pretty good i mean i don't like the way people are reacting to it to each other but as far as like you know what data seems to be influencing them um, you know, a lot of it is stuff that, you know, maybe wouldn't have influenced me as much uh, at an earlier time or might influence me more in the future. It's not to say that it's all going to influence me in the same way, but you can see that there's a lot of thought into it and people are trying hard to come up with good answers. So you know, there's a lot of, you know, concerted effort going on on both sides, which is nice to see. Very, very true. But the main part of this story right now is we knew back about three and a half, four weeks ago when we had him on the show that he was calling it quits for a while didn't know when he would return to the public eye on being a guest on podcasts radio shows and outside of major news events we're talking major media here he is going to be stepping off into the sunset and I know, he'll, he'll be the spook known as elizondo he'll just have a symbol it'll be it'll be rough exactly you know we're gonna have to figure out a t-shirt for our store Bring back the chin hair. You know what I'm saying? Or or, or whatever. Have you seen, you know, Where's Lou? You know, a wanted poster or something along those lines. But but, but I will say this, though. And, that, and, and, and this is hard for me to say because I personally, um, you know, do fully admit to, to liking Lou. A lot of it has to do with my own background, with my own involvement with the military and, and DOD and so forth. But, um, you know, to me, um, I'm actually... You know, while I'm sorry to see him go from the point of view of, of I like hearing his interviews, uh, there's a large part of me that's actually really happy he's leaving because um, he, he's, he's, he's suffered enough. 
I mean, you know, I mean, whether you want to think that his suffering was self-induced or not, um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that this guy's life has not been pleasant for, for a fairly long time. Going back into his service, he's had some rough periods as well. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, he deserves to, to ride off into the sunset and, and take on whatever adventures he wants to next. And I, I, more power to him. I think it's great that he's doing it. I wish more people could, could learn how to, you know, set tools down and go on to other projects, you know? Well, I mean, that is a big part of the story. Elizondo has stated that he and his family have had enough. They've had enough of the the podcast because of the amount of requests that were coming in on a daily basis. They had enough of the attitude of UFO Twitter. They had enough of the personal attacks. And, you know, according to uh, his people, there have been emails of of everything from uh outlandish attacks and verbal uh written uh, berations to to death threats that have come across and yep. you know in the end he's a human being in the end he is uh, known for a major subject that uh, that can be debated but I think it's one of those things, John, whether you love them or hate them, this community has a very, very bad habit of biting the hand that feeds it. And this is, this is true. I, I, I go ahead and finish, but I just want to make a point, but go ahead and finish what you're saying. Okay. And what I'm saying by that is for decades, since J. Allen Hynek, pretty much, this community has wanted begged, pleaded for somebody to come out like Lou Elizondo and talk UFOs. Someone from the inside, someone with that insider knowledge. And yet, when he finally arrives and gets away from that TTSA garbage and becomes more Lou Elizondo, the front man of ufology, I mean, this guy's taken more shots than... Mike Tyson. Yeah, but you know, it, it's, it's, um, and once again, this is actually hard for me to say, cause I've been thinking about this a lot and it's, it's hard cause I really do. I really do personally admit to liking Lou, but, um, and I know a little bit about his background before what happened on, which is part of the reason why I, of my respect for him. But, um, you know, when you get down to it, um, you know, considering one, the fact that I am in awe of how few people actually have any bloody clue what counterintelligence actually is. Like it is astounding how many people have no clue what it is at all. These are lawmen, right? They are lawmen. They are the best of the best and they are lawmen. And the thing is that they look at the world that way, right? And so they look at the world from that point of view. And so, you know, he, he said point blank the other day that the part of the reason why he was at, he got involved in this in the first place was he was going in to do counter intel into the UFO program to find out if there was anything spooky going on, any, any leaks, any, any spooky stuff going on. That's how he got involved. So his entire approach this very beginning was a counter intel approach. Because of the lack of understanding of what counter intel is, because of the overall lack of respect for law enforcement in the United States at this point in time, I don't think he was actually the right person to pick for this kind of position, whether he was personally picked or not. I'm not saying that he was, but I'm just saying that if you had the choice, 
Um, and, and if he had a different background, I don't think his, his, him personally is, is, I think he's been a fantastic spokesperson from that point of view. But from his background, uh, my, my, I, I really think that the, the counter-intel stuff just put so much shade, mainly due to people's misunderstanding of what it really is, into the system that it just it made it so there was going to be a large percentage of the population that wasn't going to trust him no matter what he did. Well, you know what? And I agree with you on that. But let me agree with you on on something here. And I think the public needs to know a little bit about what it means. Okay. Elizondo never wanted to become the front man of ufology. That's what Tom DeLong was supposed to be until the dreaded Joe Rogan interview. Okay. And when you were making comments about whipping out your penis on camera, the people you're dealing with does not play well with Rockstar. And the issue that Tom DeLong had, and this could be debated, this is just my theory on this, okay? There was a time to Rockstar, and then there was a time not to Rockstar. And acting like a Rockstar, talking about UFOs, when you have the people that you have behind you at the To The Stars Academy as you try to legitimize it, really didn't go over very well with the team. I know that personally from insiders there who told me that. All right? And the idea behind that is they had no choice but to elevate Elizondo as the front man because they couldn't trust DeLong in order to bring a proper message, which was his job throughout all of this. And I know you're going to disagree with me on this. I could already tell, uh, but well, no, I'm just I'm just wondering if the, if it really is true that he was the only person they could have brought out because he did already have a relationship with Cahill and the relationship with the other people. So it's possible he could have recruited someone else and do it if he wanted to. It's possible that TTSA didn't have the funding for that, so that might have forced him into that position. So yeah, but I'm just kind of curious how how. You know, it just, it's just hard to tell exactly how forced they were into that decision from a financial, political, emotional, friendship basis. Well, I think that's, that's what ruined the relationship between DeLong and Elizondo, was Elizondo was getting all the publicity on it. DeLong didn't like it. And trust me, there yeah. was there was a beef between those two that has never been made public. I know, but that, but that's this is the this is why I smile at this. This is why I don't understand. This is why like your whole rock star comment, I agree with. But it, to me, it's like it's like it's like saying the the sky is blue. It, it's like, what do you expect from him? He's a rock star. I agree. Right? He's not even he's not even a normal rock star. He's he's one of those he's one of those rock stars. He's one of our California guys, right? So I mean, he's he's different, right? And so I, one, I I never understood why anyone thought that they could could hurt him in any way, shape, or form. I never understood why anyone thought that he and Elizondo would end up... Uh, th those two people were going to be oil and water. Anyone could have guessed that. Absolutely. And I just don't understand why any of this stuff wasn't predicted. It just seems well, very... I, you know um, what? I think, um, I think it was the way that... Lack of foresight. When they did their homework on DeLong to set up the To The Stars Academy, I really do believe that it had... Um, it had a lot of makings towards his social media presence. Okay. And 
Tom is very good at social media. They looked at the 2 million plus followers on Instagram. They looked at all the numbers and they said, hey, we got a guy. He's written a book about UFOs. He's UFO crazy. Let's set this thing up. Let's come up with a story that he's the man behind it. Either way, he's an easy fall guy for it all in case everything does not work out. And we are able to to get this thing going. But I don't I agree with you. Elizondo was not the right front man. He never wanted to be the front man. He was forced into it. And John, we're gonna yeah, I think he did a great job considering what he had up against him. I mean Absolutely. Sure. I gotta I'm sorry I gotta cut you off right there because we yeah, do gotta go yeah. to break here at the bottom of the hour. We're gonna continue with the unbiased UFO report here on Spaced Out Radio with the Fedora wearing John Hudson. We may take this right to the top of the hour. Probably after the show as well. Yeah. I think that's a show we're going to have to do. Is Where's Lou? Not Who's Lou. Where's Lou now? On Spaced Out Radio. Alright, we're clear. You know, the thing that's going to be hard is that um, he's not really going to be able to disengage and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the next two years actually ended up being more emotionally challenging for Elizondo than the last two years was. Well, he said there's, on, a lot, there's a lot of value to the community contact. He said on this show, there's a lot of mental health value to it. Yeah. He said on this show though, he feels he can get much more done but like i told him of and course. like, like yeah. i like i told cahill the biggest problem that they have is if we're in a manual transmission car and the car is ufology the majority of us are in first gear going into second they're in fifth gear going into sixth okay they are so far advanced from the are they ours? Are they theirs? Conversation that they have a hard time reeling it back for the people of ufology to even understand. Yeah, but you, but you realize how backwards because most of ufology already believed they were real, right? So it is kind of a recursive sort of thing. Yeah, but John, it goes it, it it goes well beyond that, though, man. It's it goes. It goes into that heavy conversation that people are laughing at, but going whoa about with Representative Gallagher talking about time travel, talking about maybe it's us from the future. You know, you can sit there and roll your eyes and smirk all you want, dude. Okay. No, but I'm, I, but I'm, I, I'm, but I know, I know 100% for a fact that conversation has been had because people in the know have had that conversation with me. I don't buy it. I don't want to buy it, but you got to keep open-minded to it. No, I don't know what you thought I was reacting to. I, I was, I, my reaction was to the idea that we have us, um, uh, Congress critters, um, on podcasts talking about time travel being a logical hypothesis for the solution to alien. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just still kind of in awe of all of it, to be very honest. So I was not, I was not reacting to what you were saying. I was reacting. Oh, uh, I apologize that for this, taking this, it that this. way then, bud. I apologize for that. You know? Uh, no, 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 yeah. 
So, yeah, but it, it is definitely different times. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, I mean, uh, with Elizondo, you know, I, I just, man, I, I can't imagine what it would have like been for him. Oh, um, but you know, but you know, it, it's, it's, um, um, uh, oh, I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even see what, what, what was, uh, oh, you know, I don't think you were rude, man. It's all good. Um, um, but you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, the, the, I guess the challenge is that we don't, we have no idea like what else he thinks he needs to do. So we have no idea like what sort of touch points are still going to exist. He's obviously still going to be talking to Cahill and so forth because they're friends and so forth. So he's he's going to have you know he's going to have all these back channel contacts and so it'll it'll be interesting to see how he rolls, how he plays this out. You know, I, I hope he gets a lot of time just to fish and hike and camp and whatever it is he likes to do, work on cars. I don't know, care what whatever whatever it, whatever his bliss is. I hope he gets a lot of it. I will tell you this. I saw a video from his house and the mountains that are around him. He is yeah. he is yeah. in heaven, dude. He is yeah. Yeah. for yeah. an inch. Believe it or not, Elizondo. For people who don't know, he is actually quite introverted. And where he lives, <laughs> his property is surrounded by mountains. He is in heaven. Where he is in Wyoming, I don't know where in Wyoming. I just saw a quick. Uh, video of a camera passing like look at the mountains okay and it was beautiful there beautiful yeah i, I saw like one picture out of his backyard or something and i was like it's like you're, it's like he's living on in a postcard it's yeah. like um he, yeah, yeah all, no, all no, he's missing beautiful. all he's missing is the waterfall off the mountains you know what i'm saying and, and the bear the bear is trying to eat him yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well i'm sure that'll happen because that is definitely bear no you do a bear Bear, Bear is going to be terrified of that man. What are you talking about? Oh, true enough. True enough. Yeah. All right. I want to say a big thank you to Heidi, Donnie Cho times two, Anonymous Rex, and Cat Chaser for the amazing super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support that you guys are giving us here on Spaced Out Radio. And we're going to kick off the final half hour here momentarily with the fedora wearing John Hudson. Here we go. Round of third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you've been uh, missing most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram, at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, we bring in the fedora-wearing John Hudson and the unbiased UFO report. And right before the break, we were talking about Lou Elizondo saying sayonara to his media tour, at least for now.
of course, John, if his book ever does come out this year, you know there's going to be another media tour for that because there always is. Yeah, yeah, there is. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm super baffled as to how that book's going to be handled. I'm really confused by that one. But, um, but you know, but it, you know, the, the thing is that we're going to keep getting information about this for a long time because you know what's going to be really neat is you know probably in about um, sixty years we'll probably get access to the information of what he was doing before the UFO program. And I think once people get the understanding of what he was doing before the UFO program, they're going to get a very, very different perspective of Elizondo. Um, uh, me personally, I don't, I don't have any insider knowledge about specifically what he did, but I do have that kind of knowledge about other people that, that held similar roles to him. And I know their stories and, oh, I mean, it is like, it is, it is about as bad as you can possibly imagine it. It really is. It's all, it's awful. It's awful. Um, and, uh, and so it'd be interesting to see how that stuff rolls out as well. And the other thing too, is we don't know what does this free him up for? Does this free him up to be involved in the, um, what, what are we calling it again? This is something smog or AIMS, AIMSOG. AIMSOG? AIMSOG. Go America. Um, uh, you know, maybe now he can join AIMSOG, um, and um, they need they need outfits. AIMSOG needs outfits. They need they need like they need costumes with capes. Um, uh, he might be free to do that. He might be free to get involved in more of the programs. I mean, the thing is, is that he is, um, you know, that the, there is no uh, myself included. Very few of us have any understanding of the um, taxing effort that is doing that number of podcasts um, and um, and having to say that whole thing over and over and over again and and having people constantly trying to trip you up and um, and some of them going really well and some not going really well. I mean, it's just very, very taxing. So um, the amount of time he's going to have to dedicate to, to um, all sorts of things will be astounding once he once he really kind of pivots from from and it's true. It's true in any field. It's true in any field. If you, the instant you have a, a PR side of it, the world changes vastly, right? It, it vastly changes it. It, it always does. It, it does. What does this mean for the UFO community over the next few months as Elizondo steps into the background and says, I'm done with this? I'm curious to see if he's going to keep tweeting, too. So um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, and, um, you know, it, uh, in, in the event that by some chance, uh, Elizondo actually watches this and please don't be, take offense by what I'm about to say. But, um, I think that, um, I think that ultimately, um, it's going to give us a chance to heal. Um, because, um, the, the challenge is, is that, uh, Elizondo has become a lightning rod. Um, and he has become this incredibly emotional focal point of, of uh, it's he's become a demark um, between the division of groups and people feel very you know he's basically become the new Bob Lazar as far as like you know how much you know um, vitriol and just uh, uh, just it's, it's, it's awful um, and so I think that you know I think with him with him out of the picture I think maybe we can finally get back to talking about you know the actual issues and less about the people delivering the issues well, you know what? He is so polarizing. Whether you're on Team Elizondo or whether you are not, 
the fact that this man has literally stirred up everything that can be imagined in the UFO field by any type of every type of person has an opinion on on what they feel. I mean, there's not a person in the UFO community that doesn't. Do you feel yeah. that this is going to go away quietly? Or do you feel that we are in for months of conversation, people breaking down his every move from the beginning to the end? Uh, wow. Boy, you just made this conversation go really dark and depressing fast. Um, oh, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I think it really all just depends on the flow of information. I, you know, I think anytime you find a lull, anytime there is an absence of information, yeah, you, you're going to have a couple people reaching back into their back pocket and going, you know, hey, I, I learned this new 10% about Elizondo. I can now tack it onto their 20% I knew before, and I can do an update to my presentation. Maybe I should, you know, throw it online. You know, it, it's going to happen. But, um, um, but I mean, I think ultimately. You know, the thing is, is that what, what, what continued to fuel the fire was every time he did anything, the people that liked what he did talked about it, and the people that hated what he did talked about it. So if we don't know about anything he's doing anymore, if we're completely unaware of anything he's doing anymore, then uh, there's significantly less to argue about, right? Um, you know, and um, now uh, to be you know, realistic and pragmatic, what's actually going to happen is everyone's just going to redirect all that um, animosity towards Sean Cahill. And, uh, and Sean gets to play with it for a while. Um, and, uh, and we get to see how he deals with it, which will be interesting. Um, uh, but, um, you know, um, hopefully it'll be a little less. Hopefully it'll be a little different. But, you know, it, to a certain degree, we need a bo- to a certain degree, the community does need a boogeyman. And, um, and so, um, and so, you know, you could argue that that's a role to play and, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, maybe that's not a bad role for, for Elizondo to play, especially in absence, because, um, you know, you can kind of use him as this, you know, figure of, of, uh, to kind of redirect, uh, negative emotions and, and he's not really real anymore. So it's okay. <laughs> Does he deserve the criticism, the patronizing, the, the, anger that he has received over the last say six seven months do you think that's deserving um he 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 absolutely wait look uh no one does no one deserves anger but at the same time uh, anyone who's feeling anger has a right to feel it so as far as i'm concerned like everyone had their right to express their anger uh, toward him if he if they had the opportunity to do so however the way in which people did this the methods they used to do this the 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 styles characteristics the terminology the language they used to do this was all you know uh stuff that i would uh, not want my six-year-old daughter doing right it was, it was right. all ridiculous right so no absolutely not none of it none of it none of it is is warranted none of it is um honestly um A lot of that stuff, like I, I, I really, honestly, like very personally, really struggle sometimes to understand how some of those people that say some of those things can look at themselves in the mirror. I really do, because uh, those are things I wouldn't say to any human ever under any circumstances. 
Um, but you know, but people get emotional. So the, the anger, absolutely. There's good reasons to be angry at Elizondo, right? Um, not necessarily because of something he did intentionally, but just because of, of the position he holds, because of the, the information that he's withholding, because of the way he withholds it, because of, of there's lots of reasons. Now, these are reasons that I don't subscribe to myself, but I can certainly understand why some people would. I can certainly, you know, empathize with them to a degree and go, yeah, you know, I get that, you know. But you can be very, very creative. You can be very constructive about it. Um, you take someone like, um, um, like the way Lynn Wallington's handled it. Like, I really like the way that she's handled it, you know, uh, in public. You know, she's, she's made it very clear how critical she is, but she's, she's, she's never been, you know, um, rude or, or any of that stuff to him, right? So it's, it's, you can play this straight if, 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 you, if you want to. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people who have been critical, not just Lynn Wallington, but people like like Michael Huntington, taken a lot of heat over the years regarding his alleged hatred for Elizondo that has been cooked up by the uh, UFO community. And I, I think of, you know, John Greenwald has never tried to make it personal with Elizondo. I think he's just trying to say, look... I have different information that I am getting from the sources. I'm putting that out there. It makes me wonder. All right. But on the Let me flip make a side. Quick point. Go ahead. Let me make a quick point. Hunt and I agree with you, but the, the problem with Greenwald is, is that on his own, I agree with you, but there were several times where he went on to Jimmy Church's show and uh, would get would get dragged into it, and 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 he actually – said a lot of negative things about Elizondo. At, at the um, beginning so before it, yeah. I would say at the beginning before he interviewed Elizondo. I, I would agree with you there. All right. But a lot of us had a lot of negative things to say about Elizondo and at all and uh, until they left the To the Stars Academy. Because the To the Stars Academy was not allowing them to be interviewed by anybody who had any pointed questions. Thank you, Carrie DeLong. Right? And and that's just the way it was. But moving forward here, I don't think that a lot of people who criticized Elizondo or asked questions or critiqued him were doing it out of spite or malice. They just had questions that they wanted answered. Now there Oh, I disagree. I think well, they had developed well, a lot of spite and malice over time. Well, you didn't let me finish again. Oh, sorry. I think, though, that there was, you know, a a large portion of people out there, without giving them any press, who were absolutely willing to throw knives at this guy and throw any type of sharp, pointy object at him because they didn't feel that he was worthy of the pride that he was receiving especially from the UFO community, those who are literally holding him up like a demigod. Well, and you had several people who essentially spent a, a, a fair amount of time um, um, believing and defending him, and then they reached some point where they got some tidbit of information that for some reason was a tipping point for them, and then they flipped over, and then they sometimes become the most vocal the most aggressive haters because they they're basically emotionally traumatized from the whole thing so it, it, it can get really nasty well you know what it, it's one of those things john where uh, we're going to be polarized by this not for weeks not for months years 
years, 10, 15 years, 20 years down the road, they are still going to be talking about Elizondo if the aliens haven't arrived by then. I really do believe that. I really do. I, I, oh, no, I really hope not, but I'm, I'm afraid you're right. God, I really hope not. Please, no. But yeah, well, I mean, me. he's going to be held in the same regard as J. Allen Hynek. And I'm saying in popularity. You may not agree with him or not, but the one thing that I learned about Elizondo over his time was you really had to read between the lines. I mean, I don't agree with anybody out there who says he didn't tell us anything. He never answered a question. He never, ever gave any information. I tend to disagree with that. I think he was smart enough to know that he left a lot of Easter eggs out there and people just haven't read between the lines to find what those Easter eggs are to put two and two together. Sometimes they were a little bit more obvious than what they were to other interviews. Example, yes. example: the Roswell interview he had with Ben and Joe on UFO Garage. That was nuts. Where they started talking about... They started talking about Roswell, and Lou said, he, he pretty much gave it away. He said, you don't send a platoon out there to pick up a weather balloon, and you don't, <laughs> send, so weird. And you don't send a tri-axle heavy hauler trailer out there <laughs> for a weather balloon. That's obvious to me. It was amazing. I, I, I honestly, I'd forgotten that he said it until just now, and like, I'm still, I'm still amazed that like no one's like done any fault. I mean, well, I don't know what you do, but yeah, I mean, but you know, but the thing is, that I understand it because look, uh, the, the this whole community forever has been all about um, a sleight of hand and 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 reading between the lines and innuendo and and hints and this and that, and the whole reason why people wanted an official figure to come out was because they didn't want to do that dance anymore. They wanted definitive, clear, confident statements that meant what they were going to say. And I can understand people's desire to, for that, thinking they would get it, and then acting very negatively to, to the need to then go read between the lines. Because the challenge with that is, is that, um, you know, uh, some people get trained in that um, because of their fields. Um, some people get trained in that for other reasons. I got trained in it because of the work I did with them and so forth. But the problem is, is that you can get, you know, two different people misinterpreting, you know, what was really said. So, you know, it becomes quite challenging. Very true. Very true. John, uh, let's, we, you know what? I'm going to set up a show here. I'm going to look at our calendar and I'm going to set up a show about Elizondo. Maybe we'll do it for the roundtable. I'll specifically create the roundtable on the 27th for Strictly Elizondo. And I think that's going to be a good show. You could do like a dating game style where like each door is like his next career. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Absolutely. Why not, man? Why not? Okay, uh, let's move on. CNN was talking UFOs. Tell us what that's all about. This was cool. Um, 
I will I will try to send the link. This was cool. Um, this was um, uh, um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Chris Cesar. Uh, oh, I don't remember the guy's name, but um, it was a it's a six minute video. It is um, it is not um, it is not as serious as we would all like. Um, however, it was an evolutionary leap in that um, instead of actually playing the X Files music, he has made the comment. Um, you know, cue the X Files music and and like kind of rolled his own eyes, like like acknowledging that the joke is there, but not actually doing it right. Um, you know, they they had little uh, an alien little picture that showed up at once, but other than that, he dealt with the topic very cleanly. And what impressed me was is that he clearly um, they clearly did some of their own analysis of what was out there because they laid down a he lays down a, um, a framework for um, what happened when and why. And it's, it's not off by from what I know, but it, it is a little different. And, but what was really interesting was that in talking about six minutes here in that six minutes, he probably dedicated 45 seconds or more to a really nice statement about Harry Reid. And about how how much this meant to Harry Reid, and about what, how what a good thing this was that, that everyone was doing this because it meant some that that was cool. Um, he also um, tied in Bigelow and told Bigelow's origin story, which I mean I think I'd heard it once or twice before, but it's not something you hear often. The whole thing about um, I think it was his parents who died in the plane crash, and the grandparents saying that telling him that they thought it was a UFO that was somehow involved in the crash. Or it wasn't. It was family. I don't remember exact details, but the fact that you had this guy on CNN telling Bigelow's origin story in a six-minute UFO segment was weird. But to be honest with you, if he hadn't covered Bigelow, it wouldn't have been an honest report, right? Because Bigelow does have a big part to play. So he did a good job of kind of taking a look at it. Um, it wasn't, you know, quite as serious as I would like. It didn't hit every point I would like, but I was. Um, I was really, I was really pleased. I thought it was a really good. I thought it was a really good six minute thing. It was good. Very cool. Okay, I think we're going to end up seeing more of this. I really oh, do. Yes, I really do. Oh, I, I yes. think there's going to be more features coming up on specialty news channels regarding this, uh, especially if we start seeing more hearings and more politicians talk about it. I really do believe oh, yeah. that this is where we're going to yep. see it. Well, because you and I know that oh, there's newsrooms all over the world where there's there's people that have been sitting on stories um, or trying to get stories, you know, acknowledged, and now they're going to think they have a shot, right? And we're starting to see that. Gary McKenna even came out with a new article, right? I mean, that's what happens every time a new a new thing happens. All the, everyone comes out of the woodworks and goes, "Remember me?" So it'd be fun. All right, forty five seconds left, John. You know, where do we see this going in the next few days? a couple weeks i you know i honestly i don't i don't i don't really see anything happening um you know i mean there might be some fallout um uh the, the problem is is that um any activity that that would happen in that short period of time would have been driven by the closed door hearing it would not be driven by the open door hearing um and um, um however um and something i need to check into myself i'm meaning to i i don't know if um I don't know exactly what happens when you enter in a, a foreign document into congressional record. I think there's a small chance that it might trigger 
a certain evaluation of the document. Interesting. Which would be interesting. Could yeah, be and that's, that's something I got to find out. That could be fallout. That could be fallout. That could be interesting fallout. Um, but yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't expect anything. And the thing is, it's not until we get um, <laughs> Imsog. Dude, we're um, we're running uh, out of time here. I got to cut you off right there, John. No, but but until that until that group gets built out, not a lot's going to happen. So yeah. All right, the fedora wearing John Hudson. Thank you so much for a great unbiased UFO you, report. Thank you to Swamp Dweller for another amazing visit from the swamp, and of course. The crypto guru, Ronald Murphy, hanging on with us, taking on all the monster talk he could handle. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brothers watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAB, Facebook, Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.